Greetings, standard nerds. This is Christopher McClanahan of DeeplyDabber.com. And Tom Catamonte of Third Rail Design Lab. And it's time to... Release the... Kraken! In this episode of Robot Kraken, we appease the beast with talk of our 2017 projects that we are most looking forward to, Art Talk, Moon Knight Dreamcasting, and The Expanse on the Sci-Fi Channel. Enjoy. It can only be attributable to human error. So Tom, what are you drinking? I think it's time for Sucking the Monkey. I'll tell you what I did, Chris. I took some delicious uh, Tito's Vodka. It was it's it's uh, distilled by a guy named Tito, and then I mixed it with a. <laughs> it's true. Did you meet Tito? No, that's what they told me though. Oh, it's got a, a cardboard thing around the top of the of the bottle that says you know it's a craft vodka that's wins an award and it was distilled by Tito, so therefore it's Mito delicious. Tito. That's right, and then I mixed it with a um a, a like a like a cranberry. Like a like a cranberry juice that's carbonated. Right? Oh, okay. Um, and then I put it all in a kombucha bottle because it's what I had around. So I like to think that there's a few uh, chia seeds floating around in there too. Was there kombucha in there still? Uh, no, that was long gone. Because that's that diarrhea water you drink, right? <sighs> Delicious. Delicious in every way. <laughs> diarrhea water at three fifty three ninety five a, a bottle. Gucci mama. <laughs> I'm going to call this drink the loose parsec. The loose parsec. Nice. How is it? <laughs> I don't know yet. Let's see. Hmm. Severe. <laughs> <laughs> so you you said it's got tequila. No, vodka. Tito vodka. doesn't doesn't oh. work with tequila. <laughs> He's like no agave, man. <laughs> get, get, get it straight. Get it straight, Idaho. And uh, sorry, I hear and, Tito. I assume tequila. Tito's tequila. It sounds great. Tito's taquitos. Oh, he should make taquitos. Oh, I can't believe this is happening. What? I've been three drinking minutes. whiskey and coffee all night, brother. <laughs> three, three, three minutes in, right off the rails. <laughs> what are you drinking? I am about to crack into an Eddie Lime Brewing Black Lager Jolly Ro- Oh, sorry. An Eddie Lime Brewing Jolly Roger Black Lager. Mm. And I got to tell you, man, this can is gorgeous. Oh yes, it's got this this sweet skull with some some filigree on it and ores going through its eyes. Uh, yeah, I'll post a picture of it on Instagram because it's it's pretty rad. In the eyes, why is that? Ores going through the eyes, like it makes an X of oh. crossing. It's okay. it's really sexy. I get it. That sounds great. Mm, it's a nice I, beer. It's very dark, but it's smooth. I appreciate your choice. Yeah, I figured it was appropriate. Mm, that's good. It doesn't so, say anywhere on it what its its content is, but it's a pint, and it has alcohol of some quantity in it. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, so, so, um, Chris, last time, you know, we made a big proclamation, and we said, guys, we said, guys, here's what we're going to do. And gals. And gals, but we say guys, G-U-I-S-E, guys. Hey, you guys. No. Non non gender specific, and yes. we said, we said, guys, our weekly format is 
is horse because we're busy and whatever. We can't do it. Uh, and then every other time we try to record, you're sick or I'm sick or there's a dog that's sick or there's a kid that's sick or some other thing has happened. Yeah, we're frequently plague-ridden. Yes. So we said we're going to switch to a monthly format, collect all our recordings for that month, splooge them all together, stitch them up, give them something fancy, send it out. Big, long format monthly monthly recording, right? And we did that for January, and it was fantastic, except it wasn't, but it was. <laughs> and then we had big plans for February. We were going to hit the ground running with this spectacular long form episode that would take people like a week to get through because they would be stopping because it would be laughing so hard. And what happened? What what time? <laughs> it's the 25th. Yeah. And this is our first recording of the month. <laughs> <laughs> We've had some trials this month. We have indeed. It didn't go as planned. <laughs> <laughs> but we're here. And we're going to get something in the can for you guys. So that's Apology 1. It's going to be a shorter episode than we promised, but it will still be sweet, and it will be wonderful. And then the 2, it will be the best episode you've ever heard. And then the other Apology, at least on my end, is that I have Black Lone, and you're going to occasionally hear it, because I cannot... Yeah, you are. I I can't prevent it. However, we did sort uh, the whole recording in the middle of a busy freeway sound that we were picking up, for the most part. Tom's still recording from his his garage office that so you might hear a little sorry your graphis so you might hear a little bit of that and but I think we're 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 dialing it in here just in time for spring and summer to come and for us to move everything again <laughs> I took a photo for the interwebs because I know all 333 listeners or at this point maybe 33 listeners um, are curious about our current recording setup mine is a giant blanket i look like something from stranger things yeah. <laughs> stranger things and uh yeah i'm under a blanket um trying not to overheat the computer uh with my alcohol so it's sweet meanwhile i am wearing a house coat and drinking a beer in the basement in the dungeon theater well to clarify my blanket is for sound sound isolation not to keep me comfy cozy your house your house jacket i don't even think you have an excuse for that it's cold in here, man. I'm in the basement, and it's winter. But it only goes to, like, mid-thigh, right? And then you have no pants on, so you're going to basically freeze it, out before it's done. It actually goes to my knees. Thank you very much. It's not one of those cutie little kabuki ones that I wear around when you're here. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, dude, we, we've got, like, like three feet of snow. I, I have to, The hem has to be high enough that it doesn't get wet when I go outside. It's important That's, when planning your house coat wearing. Seems reasonable. I can understand that. <laughs> so we have we have big things to talk about, exciting things about 2017. We do. But before we do, we should talk about other things about 2017, namely the arts. What are you up to? The shipyard. Insanity runs in my family. It practically gallops. That's right, the shipyard. What are you up to? First of all, Nothing. No. <laughs> let, me consult, let me consult my notes. Notes, pause, reading. Yeah, I don't think I have anything notes-wise in here, but, uh, you know, I'm actually finally getting some stuff done here. I have... Uh, in Jan- What did I do in January? The, the January update for Deeply Dapper. We... I finished a piece for the official John Carpenter's Thing art book that's coming out this this summer sometime. How did this even happen? I mean, I know you have legions of fans, but what an honor. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. It's it's one of those things where, like, I saw it was happening and commented on one of their pages, and the guy sent me an email and was like, hey, uh, dude, I saw your stuff. I'd love to have you contribute. <clears throat> and I was like, hell yeah, it's like one of my top five movies. And I, like, four days, I had to bust out a piece because the deadline was the 15th of January. And I ended up doing a pretty fun piece that I can't show anyone until it comes out in the book. But they, uh, when I submitted it, the guy wrote back, and they've had over 300 pieces. And obviously not all of them are going to make it the cut into it. Uh, but he was like, he wrote back and he's like, dude, I, you're in my top five of the pieces that I've gotten. Oh, wow. And, uh, we'd like to do something with it in a larger capacity beyond just the book possibly. So pretty fun. I'm, I'm super excited about it. You shared, you shared process in your interwebs, your Instagrams and your Twitters. And, uh, it made me feel like another time but we need to talk more about brush pens i keep telling you i send you notes we need to talk about brush pens because um you really you you really make me hanker for your skills because watching you do that it reminds me of watching videos of other accomplished inkers that i watch the videos that i watch where they ink with brush pens and i say to myself in each of those cases that's a skill i need to know well and it's funny because every time i use a brush pen i think to myself why aren't i using a real brush and ink like a real artist does but uh-huh. i mean really i that's a completely different skill set that i do not have but the brush pens are something that i use kind of interchangeably with pens i'm not quite talented enough to use just the brush but uh, you know the the piece that i did for the book i obviously i can't show it but it's heavily influenced by my love of like the vintage photography and a certain Hellboy artist that <laughs> that Richard I adore. Corbin? Richard Corbin, right? That's what you mean. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Those big black inky portions of Richard Corbin's art that don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> those Mac, those Mac, those Mac paint gradients. That yes, he does. yes. <laughs> but that's we, we uh, we beyond that. Uh, the only other thing I've really been working on is we released a Kickstarter yesterday that will be running through the end of the month of February. That we've decided each month we're going to do a new enamel pin Kickstarter. I think that's great. Yeah, we you know we love doing the enamel pins. They get a great reaction, but there's a pretty decent amount of front-loaded money that you have to put into it that then you know carries you through until you sell through them. And we don't have the kind of following that a few of these pin makers do, where they sell out of pre-orders. And so we thought Kickstarter would be kind of a fun way to to put it out there. We're gonna let uh, people that purchased from us previously vote on the designs and that kind of thing. So we started out with my new logo that I've designed that's similar to the, t- the tentacle that we used to use, but it's it's a little more dapper, I guess you yes, could say. It is. It is. <laughs> I think it's great. It has the requisite amount of tentacles. Yes. And, uh, and and it's and uh, and it's going to look amazing as a pin, I think. If yeah, it's funded, really cool. it will get funded. I yeah, I imagine we're I, we're less than twenty hours in right now, and we're at fifty one percent, so it's not too bad. On the aforementioned uh, topic, though, I have a question. Have you noticed when you watch videos of 
accomplished inkers doing their accomplished inks with brush pens. No, with brushes. Mm-hmm. Brush and ink. Have you noticed that it seems like they can, A, maintain their line forever, and, two, do it without dipping? Like, you know, it seems like they have a possible amount of ink, and they never blows my get scraped. Yeah, I don't understand it. Like, how do they not have to dip it constantly or blob? I, I, it fascinates me because I legitimately have no idea. I've, I've, I've read inkers talk about their almost superstitious requirements for the ink they use, its consistency, its temperature. They put it in the fridge. They do all the stuff to it. So, like, I know that there's some fine tuning they do to optimize, mm-hmm. but it still blows me away. I haven't done. I really haven't done, I think, maybe any comic inking by brush, but I did a lot of painting. Now, granted, that's with acrylics. It's a totally different thing. Right. But I've worked, I've worked with triple lot brushes quite a bit. There's not a lot of there there to hold the material. Right. And the only thing, only thing I can imagine is there's that that, um, that the indie inks or whatever that they're using are very uh, very thin, mm-hmm. but but also very opaque, so right. that they, they last a long way. Uh, so, uh, like like when they knock it over and they spill it all over their their thing and then scream about it on the interweb. <laughs> it's because the, the old school blotter is not going to work. It's not no. Gonna work <laughs> well, that's exciting. It's a it's a fun Kickstarter that you you launched. Fifty one percent. You know, if each of our three hundred and thirty three listeners contributed, uh, you would be. I mean, I can be pay my house be, payment. No. <laughs> I was going to say you'd, you'd be moving to Hawaii, but yes, also that. The house payment as well. That's so what great. about you? What have you been up to in the shipyard this month? I'll tell you what I've been doing. So I've been preparing to work. <laughs> <laughs> Not just the usual amount of procrastination, but uh, I'm preparing to deep dive into the the third rail source books. And the reason I say prepare is that it's a really deep dive and I have to just kind of do that and nothing else. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm planning, a, I'm, I'm getting ready for a trip to Jakarta next month. And those trips are fantastic, as you know from previous discussions, because I get a lot done. However, on the plane, it's harder to do. Um, it's harder to do uh, traditional uh, pencils or pen and ink, and even digital inking to some degree, because even on those, you know, big planes over the Pacific, you're still going to get turbulence. Yeah, but you're yeah, getting that. that makes sense. Seventeen hours. <laughs> so, um, what I really have to do is stockpile as much digital work as I can. So that I can spend as much of that time coloring mm-hmm. on the iPad and then writing all the, the the content that I need to finish to back end all those characters, right? So in order, so I'm prepping for that trip by pooling and and sort of queuing up everything that I'll work on while I'm overseas, and then also I've been working on some of the the mainstream art, the jams and things mm-hmm. ahead of time and preparing so that I could basically push that out in the beginning of February, and I'm already I don't even have to. I'm not doing anything all month because I'm already done, right? Not, not that I have to do it in the first place. It's just you know what I mean. Like I, right. I feel I, I feel an obligation to produce art for the jams because I'm hosting the jams, right? Right. Um, and with this comes a change, and that is that for February and possibly thereafter, mm-hmm. I'm announcing the jam the whole month at once. Oh, right on. Putting it all out there, and I'll just kind of repost it to remind people. So I've put together the four characters for the month already. I'll, I'll issue that at the end of this week, and then uh, um, would you like to know what they are? Yes, tell us. By the time this this airs, uh, it will be February, so uh, they will be uh, in not not in this order, I don't think, but they will be Starfire, okay, DC, DC, 
DC Comics. Thongy thong thong. You uh, could be. Uh, also, <laughs> Moana. Oh, interesting. A popular Disney movie property. Yes, that's a good and movie. Then, yeah, and then uh, Katana, also a DC property. Okay, then, uh, which Katana? What? Which Katana are we talking here? That's a very good question. You get to do your choice. So it's not... Uh, All of our jams are artist choice. Uh, but it's Katana not even, it's, uh, from... Suicide Squad. That Mac. Oh, that Katana. Okay, gotcha. I was thinking the David Mac Katana in... Um, Does he is, have one? What's the name of that character? Kabuki. Kabuki. There's a character in that name, Katana. So I was, Oh, really? But that, that's not DC, is it? No, but even then, you know I don't care. You can, yeah. you can draw that. You can draw that, too. Yeah, like you you can just draw a picture of a katana. Just actually submit something, Chris, for fuck's sake. You, you, <laughs> you, re- you really could. Uh, but uh, And then the final one will be Enchantress, also from DC. There's no real reason why it's all... It's it's almost all DC characters. It just happened to be what was... It was the order of, of characters that were in my, my, my jam queue. So I just said, oh, there it is. And then I looked at it after... I put it all together and I said, well, 50% of that Suicide Squad. Yeah. The 25% of it is the movie that is the sort of the inverse of the quality of Suicide Squad. Yes, and, uh, absolutely. <laughs> and, then, and then one of my least favorite DC characters ever. <laughs> so. You know, I used to really like uh, Teen Titans back when Perez was doing all the art and stuff on it. That's what turned me off so much, but that we've talked about that before. And I've I could, reread them again recently and I'm like, hmm, why did I like this? Is it just because of the age I was at the time? Well, but I mean, to be fair, he just like John Byrne on, on the Marvel side predominantly, but they both had a very specific, consistent, detailed style mm-hmm. with with thin Terry Austin style inks, yes. right? Yeah. So I mean, I definitely I, I I associate each of them with their with with their associated companies in the eighties for that reason, creating entire pantheons of characters. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> with with their, with their with their writer collaborators, but I couldn't handle her hair. The perm, the perma uh, uh, Nova perm that she had. <laughs> yeah, the eighties the um, butt rock band hair that went forever, right? It went into infinity. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it? Like even when she's standing around, it's like whoosh, going out the door. And... <laughs> <laughs> um, what's her name? Corey. Is that right? Corey? I genuinely can't remember. Well, you could do all your research when you when you allocate several of your hours to the jam for February. Yes, sure. No. Okay. <laughs> Uh, we endeavored to s- stick to the script on our subject matter. Yeah. However, however, I have an impromptu question for you. What's that, Tom? Not that I, I know. I shouldn't do that. I have a question. Do you think? Do you think there's anything to this rumor? And this is just a rumor. And in fact, it's really just a conspiracy theory. In fact, it's really just a kind of a cool idea. Here's what I read. Someone wrote that they wondered if in Suicide Squad the movie which was, we've agreed, not as bad as it could have been. But still a hot mess, yeah. No, wait. Yes. What if (laughs) the Joker in that movie is a disgraced or converted Robin? If it's the Robin from Batman v Superman, but he's not really dead, Mm -hmm. he betrayed him and went the other way, went crazy. You know, I... There's no reason for this this theory, but I thought it was kind of interesting. <laughs> I saw that, and I think it's kind of an interesting idea. I like it in that it kind of 
explains the radical difference in Jokers. Right. Which doesn't really matter since it's obviously each of the Batmans are different non-canon shit anyway. But it's an interesting idea. I do like... I like it from the point of view that we're talking about a grizzled, old, gruff Batman and... The Joker seems so much younger than him in it. Right, right. Well, and then a lot of the, even in the comics, right, I don't even know, post-52, post-retcon, how it is anymore. I guess I guess uh, Tim Drake is not even a Robin anymore, right? Like, or, <laughs> I have no idea, dude. <laughs> I, heard, I, I heard that in, in the Weekly Planet podcast. They mentioned that he's now in their new continuity. He was, he's went straight into Red Robin, and he never was Robin. But anyway, anyway. Weird. I like the idea in the old continuity that um, after I was reading DC, so Mm -hmm. I don't know. But from what I understand, the Jason Todd thing is, however it is that he, you know, in my my world, he was dead, right? That's our era of reading, he was dead. He was one of the few characters that didn't come back. Right. And then when they brought him back, he had, he had a thing about the fact that you couldn't be like to be Robin was, was doomed. Like he had a lot of heart. He had a lot of negative association with that that um, he was bitter okay. about that relationship he had with Bruce Wayne, um, which led to his vigilantism and as the Red Hood. And then I know that they've tweaked it many times since. But I like the idea that a an embittered Robin mm-hmm. would become everything that Batman was fighting against. Well, Not just, not just villain, right but insane way. villainy. Yeah, I mean, if you did something, a story that way, and did it the right way, and wasn't just a cheap ploy to sell comics, and it was legitimately like a character study and what it would take for somebody who was a hero to become a twisted villain that way, I mean, think about how much more heartbreaking it would be for Batman to to find a room full of victims that are a result of his former protege. I mean, that's... Yeah. That's a pretty intense story that, if it was done right, could be it could be one of those seminal stories of the Batman genre. But post eighties, post mid eighties, Joker when it when he's written the best, it's always been these intensely personal uh, betrayals to Batman. Absolutely, it's been about like like the Barbara Gordon thing and a lot of his Killing Joke stuff. It, it, all of his stuff has been yeah. about. Finding really screwing with with everything that Batman holds dear. Yeah, absolutely. And so the idea that it would be family, I think, is really interesting. That aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you brought up something else just now, which is you 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 referenced the the cheap comic selling ploy. It's funny to think about today. Younger readers and listeners wouldn't understand how controversial that was back in the day. Right. It was it was one of the first of its kind. They wrote the they wrote the comic and then said. You know, Robin was chained up in a chair or whatever, and Joker's standing over him with a crowbar or whatever the hell it was. And then they said, you know, what happens? Should he live or die? And it was like, choose your own adventure. Yeah. But they told people to call in a number. Yeah. And then supposedly they ta- they tallied it up, and then the the readers voted and voted on him dying. And it was controversial because, A, obviously it's not, you know, Shakespearean when the, right. the plot is being driven by Votes. reader response. And two... Uh, well, yeah, right. And two, uh, the fact that people voted for him to die. Right. In, in, over the years, I've read different different re, reca- re, you know, retelling of this from pe- in, the creators who are involved. And in some of the cases, they've said, you know, they were really surprised. They assumed everyone would say 
you know, save him. Right. <laughs> the fact that, you know, everyone said, let him die right after they were doing all that grim and gritty stuff. They were surprised by that. Yeah, and I but can only became... assume that they, like a lot of the people voting at the time, were like, oh, they'll bring him back. It'll be a yeah. cool story. <laughs> yeah. At the same time, I have to wonder, it's not like it's like the Oscars where the guy comes out and he's like, I have this in a briefcase and this is the official results. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I really I really feel like, you know, whoever was the editor at DC at the time could have just been like, all right, well, this is what we're going to do. Yeah, this <laughs> is going to be a better story if we have uh... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, so that's a thing that happened. I was thinking about. We should get, we should get to our main event. Yeah. Uh, but first, but first, I have another random question for you. Have you read? Because we're we're sticking with the script, except we're not. Have you read? Just the other day. That supposedly. Tim Miller, has a new project. Have you heard about that? I am not 100% certain who Tim Miller is off the top of my head. Is that Tim Miller, Phil Lord, the guys that directed the Lego movie? Uh, I'm trying to say the guy that just came off of Fury Road. George Miller. That's what I meant. <laughs> no, I have not heard anything about him having a new project. I read two days ago, this could be entirely false, but what I read two days ago was that supposedly James Cameron did a press release that he is doing the next he's doing another Terminator movie okay as a producer and then he got Miller to direct it really now I don't know if that's true but that's what it was and it kind of <laughs> flew all over the place when it happened two, two days ago now I ask you this given the long history of screwing those movies up and how convoluted they are and how in the past we've even had some good looking ones mm -hmm. that couldn't you couldn't make heads or tails of it like Salvation, for example. Right. Do you think, given given him coming off of Fury Road... Wait, is it... Wait a minute. Oh, no. Is it Miller from Fury Road, or is it... What's his name from Deadpool? Now I'm confused. <laughs> Who did Deadpool again? I think that's Tim Miller. All right. That's Tim Miller. Yeah. Coming off of... So, so, so pretend I was talking about Deadpool the whole time. Create, creator with a lot of fan power, respect in Hollywood, uh, reputation as you could take something and turn it into something really exciting that people were un, we were they were surprised that you were going to make it so cool. Mm -hmm. Okay, do you think that he could, just as a director with a lot of influence on script, do you think he could make a Terminator movie that would make sense? Well, here's the thing: Tim Miller right yeah. now has directed one movie. And a lot of shorts. and a lot of video game shorts, though. <laughs> he's done some shorts, and he's currently in development to direct uh, Eric Powell's Goon movie as well. Right. But everything he's done has had a pretty heavy dose of humor in it. Yeah, that's true. And I don't know how I feel about somebody that's primarily a humorous action director taking over a property like Terminator because I feel like Terminator kind of went downhill once it stopped being an R-rated action sci-fi movie. I think that's true. I think that's actually, I think that's absolutely true. I think, so, so I guess where I'm going with this is that I was thinking about how when McG took on Terminator Salvation, 
no, I don't think any of us had high expectations because his work is not thespian work. But, <laughs> right. And, 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 and you don't get the sense that he's rewriting scripts to, per his vision and making them better. That said, you know, McGee comes out with a Terminator movie that looks good but made no sense. Mm-hmm. And it kind of soured people on the idea that, well, if you make it look rad enough, you will accept the nonsense of Terminator scripts, right? <laughs> right. And then, you know, I actually liked the last Terminator movie, but I agreed that it had a lot of, it was very confusing as it, it, it kind of fell apart in a quick way. <laughs> it mm-hmm. just imploded. But it, again, it looked pretty, it, it, they tried interesting things. Yeah. Right? And so I, I don't know. From a visual standpoint, it felt more in line with the pre, like the first two movies. Literally, because it tried to recreate them. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I kind of feel like, and this is kind of blasphemous to say, but if I feel like if they're going to do a Terminator movie, they kind of need to reboot the franchise. Yeah, they have to do something. They have to do something really different. No more nods back to it. Nothing, none of that. And do something. Yeah, I just I feel like it's gotten. It's it's worse than X Men continuity at this point. Uh, well, and, and particularly because X Men holds holds this too in the films, but the Terminator films. Terminator 2 was the was the um, was the imminent it was the first major recursive sequel right? right that was the first time when you know they started this model of go back and do everything you did before with a deliberate nod to recreating it but then do it better right, right? and then you build that into a time travel movie and now it's eating itself right. totally snake eating itself and then they just couldn't maintain the quality after that and then it just became just no stakes like I actually, we talked about this before. I thought Terminator Three was fine, and I mean, I didn't like the enemy Terminator, but the end of it I thought was fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, th- I find things to like about each of them. I like the Terminator movies, mm-hmm. but to me, they have to find some totally new angle to I make agree. a Terminator movie make sense. Um, uh, I mean, Sarah Connor Chronicles already covered so much ground that right. I wanted to see in the movies about you know the history, the reality changing as they're going because things are happening. Other Terminators are screwing things up, and so while the, while they're talking to the guy, the guy is changing. Yeah, you know, see, and I, I thought that, that was really cool. Yeah. Anyway, so those are two things that I wanted to ask you about that weren't really related to everything else that we were talking about. But there you go. <laughs> that's how it is here. That's how it is. That is how we, speak, we roll. We speak our minds. <laughs> but what are we? What are we going to talk about today? That's well, why don't I we want. take a little break, and when we get back, no breaks. We will talk, Tom. We right, have to we'll do a little breaks so that we can fit in commercials and little sound clips and things. I think you're right. We should do that. Are you running a high fever? How could you conceive of something so idiotic? This episode is brought to you by Third Rail Design Lab, featuring art books, collectible 11 by 17 art prints, and commission art available at www.thirdraildesignlab.com and at a convention near you. Do you love art books? Do you love beautiful illustrations of cool characters done in that third rail style? Do you have a hankering for a custom commission art made to your specification? All of these things? Then Third Rail Design Lab is your new favorite sweet, sweet site. Go there today. Buy them all. So we are back, Tom. Mm-hmm. And our main thing we're talking about this episode, we've decided, is we want to talk about the stuff we're looking forward to most in 2017. Talking about politics on the internet. That is at the bottom of my list. <laughs> a friends reunion. <laughs> friends. 
No, Tom. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to take this moment here and tell our listeners to hit the mute button for just a moment while I explain to Tom where to find the list that he gave me that's a perfectly <laughs> fine list that he can pick from. <laughs> My... My suggestions were 100% minimum reasonable for some other podcasts. Let's just proceed. I understand. You're trying to edit me again. How about That's I fine. do my first pick first? <laughs> what we did, let's give, us some, let's give us some background. We chose films. Films, media projects. And we said, yeah, media. Let's, create, let's create a fairly arbitrary list of things we're looking forward to. And then let's isolate it down to five each, mm-hmm. which was hard because there's like 80 it projects was. coming out. And then rank them all very difficult all pretty much bullshit at least for me because mm-hmm. i i'm interested in pretty much everything that's coming out in one way or another except yeah. for the ones i'm not but anyway <laughs> so that's what we did so let's do you your number five first what is it my number five is and this is at five because there's a really good chance that it may not actually come out in 2017 <laughs> that's a good point though that because of the rankings it's interesting why we ranked them the way we did yeah, yeah. And this it did if I knew it was coming out with a certainty, it would be really high on my list. And it's the only book on my list, really, for the most part. Is and, this G.I. Joe Transformers? That's what you're going to say, right? No, that's that's on a different list okay. entirely. <laughs> uh, Winds of Winter, the, the next book in the Song of Ice and Fire series from George R. R. Martin. Who's that? He's the Game of Thrones guy. Game of Thrones guy. This is the next Game of Thrones book that is supposedly coming out. I don't follow. Well, you see, there's this TV show that they've based right. a series of books off of. I, I love it. I that, love that show. That they wrote preemptively. <laughs> I love that show. That show is, in, is, is original and exciting, and I wish there was more content like that that I could have in between seasons, but there isn't. Well, there's this whole series of books you can read. No. And each of the books is approximately 7,000 pages long. I'm afraid to read those books, to be honest with you. I'm a little bit afraid of them. Why? I don't know, because mm, because I like, I don't know, because I watch the, the shows, and so... You know, I have to say, honestly, though, um, with my experience with... Like, I read the first one of those books when it came out... In paperback, I believe, because my brother was a fan of them and was like, dude, you've got to read these books. They're awesome. Or this they book. Come, they can paperback with spine that thick? Yes, they can paperback with spine that thick. Wow. <laughs> uh, it's like written on like Bible font paper. It was like <laughs> was really say, thin. And... <laughs> I was going to say, it's like the, the paperback uh, uh, fully unabridged dictionaries. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> right, right. Oh, can't open it. <laughs> uh and, you know, it's been interesting watching them adapt a book of that magnitude. Sure. And seeing what they did and didn't keep, what they could and couldn't keep, that kind of thing. And it's, I would say, honestly, coming at it from the perspective that I have, I would say watching the movie, then reading the book is definitely the way to go with these. That sounds like, that sounds reasonable. Because yeah. it's, there's just so much they had to cut, and they've made a lot of modifications. I mean, really, one thing that they've left out of the movies that is in the books is that George R. R. Martin likes to describe everything in detail. 
there's probably entire pages of just him describing what people are eating at meals and what it looks like and <laughs> what color their banners are. So masturbatory, yes, masturbatory. I, yeah, I mean, he's a role playing gamer. I mean, he he basically creates a role playing game for it. It's. It's definitely that level of detail where he's like, okay, you're in a room, and I'm describing it to you. Stop eating your Doritos. <laughs> you know, speaking of Doritos, you know, we're, we will very likely soon have a guest on the show, Mike, that we've yeah. known from Forum Days for years. And we were recently talking about Expanse because Expanse is a show of import that we need to discuss. But he he posted about, like he tweeted or something, about um, him catching up with the first season himself fairly recently and uh-huh. he posted a timestamp. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so he's like this timestamp changes like everything about about you know the way sci-fi is shown in, in media and we and that from there we devolved into a discussion offline discussion about um about sci-fi literature and hard hard sf and some other stuff and we talk about my love of cj cherry and he referenced that a lot of friends of his, you know, sci-fi readers, can't handle her books because they're too long and boring. And she describes because she has a psychology background, so just, okay. you know this on and on and on. She just describes how it's in their head for five pages before they say anything, kind of thing, right? And it, I've heard the same sort of things about George R. R. Martin's work that it'll just go page after page of description before mm-hmm. you get to anything happening. To me, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> but, yeah. You know, yeah, I, I enjoy it. I think it, it makes the world a little richer, knowing that kind of thing. And I think it's okay. really cool. All right, I'll add it to my stack of books I haven't read yet. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll, right, we'll so. talk about it in 3033. So. So, <laughs> 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 One cyber ghost to the other cyber ghost in a, in a dead bulletin board somewhere. Do they have those still? Maybe. Anyway, <laughs> winds, of, winds of winter. So, do we... So, is this going to be covering ground that the shows have already passed or is this how does that work well see we have no idea i have no clue what it's going to be versus what's in the show uh the show is both ahead and behind on the books aren't we all though and yeah really and they've taken entire characters and shifted their storyline so dramatically that at this point there's this them. divergence that it's really hard to tell what's going to be in this book, honestly. I actually like that a lot. If when the when the when the adaptation goes in a different direction, I, I think it makes it easier for fans of both of both media mm-hmm. to accept them because it's an alternate universe. To yeah, them. yeah, absolutely. Right? Uh, Jonathan Mayberry's right? a big fan of that. He's a writer that I really enjoy, and. He's like, you know, honestly, I've had quite a few people come to me about adaptations and they want to do a direct adaptation of my books. And I'm like, I don't want to have a direct adaptation. I want a loose one done because it's more fun for me. And I think it's more fun for other people to have two stories that take place in the same world. That's interesting. That's interesting. So, And also, you told me in the past, in last year or something, when we were talking about Game of Tolls, you told me that they have fused characters, right? Like they Rob's, have. Rob's wife is a hot, is like a combination of other or like a different character, mm-hmm. and then and uh, the the Sansa thing is a different character, right? right? As far as marrying in and all that. Mm-hmm. So, so you think it's okay for me to read those books, even you know, I I'm not going to be too torn by how how much it deviates from the source material, the TV show. I don't think so. I think. <laughs> 
I think they each have their own level of enjoyment. There's there's certain things that they've done in the book that I really like better than the TV show. And there's a couple of things they've done in the TV show that I'm like, oh my god, this was really well done. And it was such a clever way of covering the ground that he covered in like three books in two episodes, that kind of thing. So do, I, you, do you miss or do you are you bothered by the presence of nose on Tyrion? <laughs> no, I'm not. I... I think there's a certain amount of screen to book accuracy that's that's just it's impossible and it would be actually just too distracting. And it's a good thing the characters aren't twelve. Right. Although although in the written in the written material, especially if you understand anything about history, that's perfectly fine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think in the adapta- in the adaptation it would have been really awkward if everybody was Stranger Things era. Style. Right. Yeah, that, I mean in the age group and there's Arya's like nine in that. Yeah. I mean and it, it certainly makes more sense that Bran is like a a eight year old being carried around by Hodor, not a sixteen year old, but you know On the other hand on the other hand, a nine year old uh with with uh oh gosh what what is she what does she call it um what, what does she call her sword uh needle 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 the idea of an eight year old stabbing guys in the neck who are who are trading in sex workers or whatever it, it interests me i think that's yeah it sounds pretty amazing actually if they could yeah. find the right actor for that <laughs> all right so that's number five that's number five on my list what all is right. it number well, actually, I guess that's ten, technically speaking. Eh? This is our top ten total. <laughs> no, don't try to use common core math with me, man. That's not how this works. So yours you have five, nine. and I have five. <laughs> All right, what's your number five, Tom? My five, in other words, the least desired movie of the five, according to the rankings. But still in the top 80. Is <laughs> The Last Jedi. Star Wars: The Last Jedi, Jedi. and the rub here is that not—it's not that it's that's that's why the rankings are such horseshit to me. (laughs) It's not that it's not that um, I'm I'm the least interested in this movie among all the movies that are coming out, or even the five Mm -hmm. on this list, because obviously that can't be right. (laughs) Right. It's my ranking of best to, or most to least anticipated is based on unknowns right and and the ability for me to be surprised and delighted where i'm already prepared to love it i've chosen to love it and yet it's going to somehow even like delight me even more that's how i made my list so uh, star wars episode 9 i'm going to love it <laughs> it's really hard they're not going to be able to i don't see how in the modern era, they're going to make a Star Wars movie that's not going to blow my socks off. I'm going to love it to right. death. About it. We'll have episode after episode about it. But well, it's and, the and most known quantity for a movie that we don't know anything about. That wasn't even in my top five, actually, on here. Because in my brain, it's it's not out until December. So that's true, too. Like, like, in my head, although I knew it should have been on my list, it was like, ugh, I don't know, man. I'm really excited about it. But it's so far away versus all of this other stuff that's so much sooner. <laughs> I agree. And also, I would love if I didn't know anything about it until December. I mean, Me I know too. it's impossible. But yeah. I love the unknown of it now. People are going, Who's the, is the last Jedi Luke? Is the last Jedi mean like he dies in it and she's the last one? Right. Does it mean 
the last type of Jedi, like a gray Jedi, like we talked about or before. Or is it the we... last couple Jedi? Because that is a plural. It is a plural. <laughs> what if there's a ship that they call the Jedi, and then they buy that? What if it's a flavor of ice cream? We don't know. So, yeah. a cocktail. It's a beer. Jedi. We could hey. do a cocktail like that. Yeah. So anyway, I'm excited about it to death. But it's it's the it's the least. Um, I plan to be the least – I expect to be the least surprised by it in my enjoyment of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm down with that. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I, I'm i sure I'll enjoy it. And I'm on the same page I'm as you. I'm sure I I'll enjoy it. wish I could avoid trailers entirely, but I just don't think it's possible. I think for everything that was – for the barrage of media on Rogue One. <laughs> right. One of the things I loved about it was that we still managed to go in and see a movie that was really entertaining and surprised us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in no small part to the the fact that like 80% of the trailers were in the movie. Oh my God. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> but, <laughs> all right. What's your, what's your number four? Number four, I have Wonder Woman placed there. I've heard of her. I have heard of her and I have seen a trailer that's impressed me. Yes. However, I've also heard bad things about it. Well, so, I don't know, a couple months ago there was the leak that supposedly it was a, a project in trouble. It was a, a tweet or some sort of share mm-hmm. from someone who claimed to be part of the production, that it was miserable, and it was a big hot mess, and it was going to suck. And then it was debunked as being, um, you know, who knows what the subject is, and that, uh, it, you know, it may have been... Uh, maliciously motivated right. those comments. Um, on the other hand, it's easy for me to imagine that that movie's a hot mess. Me too. Only because you have no reason to believe that they could pull off a consistent DC movie because we have not seen any evidence that they have planned it from a story-first perspective. Right, at all. right. At all. It's like they went into it with their, their franchise blinders on and yeah. that's all they've seen. And, I mean, I love everybody involved with the project for the most part. I mean, I, I think the director's excellent. I think their casting is great. I love that it takes place during the war. Oh, yeah. Of, I mean, that's yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. But I, I just can't rank it any higher than that, as excited as I am to see it, because I just have so much trepidation about how it's going to turn out. Your trepidation over number four in your list of five of the 80 projects in 2017. <laughs> well, it's coming out soon, so I'm really excited about it. But uh, Yeah, they could, it could be a hot mess. And just like uh, just like with Batman v Superman, you kind of judge it against the trailer. saw right. the trailer and you said, am I going to like this? It seems like if they just do what's in the trailer, I'll like it. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of criticism. But in the end... Yeah, okay, bare minimum, it was like the trailer. Right. <laughs> and it was the same thing with Suicide Squad, right? For all of the hate based on expectation, in the end, you know, it was still fun and it had images that looked like the trailer that we liked. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So based on the trailer, Wonder Woman looks great. Um, the thing I want to see in that whole trailer, what I want to see is her waltzing through, well, a waltz with her sword in her in her dress <laughs> somehow. Right. The sword that she got in her, on and off the Turkish airplane in Batman v Superman. I want to see her. <laughs> not look like she has a vestigial tail hanging off the back <laughs> of that that dress. But, I mean, it's such a great riff on the, you know, the slinky dress. And then they have the, the Derringer, right. you know, in, in the garter. She's got a broadsword. <laughs> She's just like, whatever. I got a two-hander here. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm super stoked on that. Yeah, that sounds good. 
I endorse your choice. What is your number four, Tom? It's GOG 2. GOG 2. Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Guardians. Now, I am really excited about that. Now, and the thing about it is, it's I still, I mean, I love the characters in the movie, but it's not like I read, and I've even, I've tried to read some of the, the comics now, and I'm just not that interested. In yeah, this. with the exception of like the, there's like a Scotty Young. Yes. That's but that's always great. the case. Yeah. Any, any, the Scotty Young anything is going to be. But, uh, but based on the first movie, if it's a clone, I mean, not a clone, but if it's, if it continues the tone of the first movie, mm-hmm. as the trailer suggests, we're going to just fall out of our pants and it's going to be fantastic. Yes. So I love it. And yeah, not I, only will it be as good as the last one, but they've added Kurt Russell to it. So <laughs> I'm not, I'm not super enthused about the concept art of his, uh, or no, right. It was the Funko figure or something of his human form. And it's like, here I am in Brown with a thing, a shoulders, like a, like a thing, like right. a vest and a, a leg strap and a beard. I was much more interested in, if they're going to make his dad the living ego, I really wanted it to be a planet. I wanted it to be a giant planet. But well, there is a planet version of that Funko Pop, though. Is there really? Yeah, with a little beard, like a planet beard of of like of like continent. <laughs> I you know I haven't looked that closely at it, but I know that they do have a planet version of it as well. Well, all I can say is everything in that second trailer got me super. I mean, I had no ex- I had no expectation otherwise, mm-hmm. but when. When he did, he did the, the teaser, and then he did the final trailer, and I watched that thing like thirty times. Everything, the the the, the baby Groot with the with the bomb, yeah, and all the, and and especially I like all the additional. And he's talked about it separately, but they've ramped up Drax's role, and I think just based on that one scene, oh <laughs> man, he's. Sold. I'm amazed. I I really I can only assume that they did not give him quite as much screen time in the last one because they weren't sure how Batista would work out. But but he worked well as a background character in the first one. He did. And it's, and it's believable to see him more at more, uh, more aggressively involved in the second because he's becoming more comfortable with them. Right. Right. But that whole, that whole scene in the trailer you're you're really incredibly uncomfortable. <laughs> Do me. That was, <laughs> right. of, that was the part of me that that was the part for me that killed me was that he ends all that craziness with "Do me, do me" like that childlike enthusiasm yeah. about something that was clearly negative. <laughs> yeah, he's just I uh, Batista's so damn charming. It's just ridiculous to me. Yeah, he's uh, he, he's so, he's sort of a surprise, right? Yeah. Just... Yeah, even in uh, the. Oh, what's the name of the newest Bond movie where he's the Spectre. Spectre. He's he's almost a little too like like affably charming in that to be taken seriously as a villain. <laughs> I tend to uh I tend to drink really, really like clinically challenging spirits when I watch James Bond movies. I remember <laughs> the, the previous one I drank absinthe to it, and I don't remember what I did to Spectre, but it's vague. Mm-hmm. But I do remember I think if I remember right, he was driving around and then blew up in a Lamborghini or something, maybe? Yeah, yeah, he had a big race scene with Bond, and Bond is driving, like, his Aston Martin or whatever, and, and Batista's in a... Aston Martin or whatever. Fancy-ass. <laughs> I couldn't remember if that was a drink or a car, but you never know. But, <laughs> no, but I remember at the time feeling like, on the one hand, it was disappointing because he, like, blew up in his car, like, right. crashed his car or something. But on the other hand, I remember being impressed because, for once... 
the big bad or a big bad just died in the car. Yeah, <laughs> I you know I did kind of like that actually. Like, <laughs> yeah, like no, I no. I was looking forward to him as a character, and he kind of went out like a chump. But I do kind of like that they don't always have to be this big dramatic fight and everything. Well, and we we haven't gotten around to talking about Spectre much, but you know when that movie devolves into over over complicated backstory and interconnected sort of plot stuff which to me was a real sour way to end the franchise. I agree. You know, yeah. His, his, his period of the franchise, um, those kinds of things like Batista just randomly get, like failing in that race. <laughs> right. I, I like that about it. The other thing about uh, guardians, I like, it's just like with Bendis, the Bendis era of Marvel comics. I like when they're, t- you know, his whole thing as a fan that's become a creator yeah. He's been taking all the old characters from the 70s, 60s and 70s, characters that he looked at just like me in the Marvel handbook and said, well, that's weird, right? <laughs> he takes them and he brings them forward into his writing and make, finds a way to make them interesting in some way. So I love that Guardians has – now, granted, I understand it's part of the whole space, Marvel space, mm-hmm. um, LSD stuff. But I love that he took Mantis and he's kind of <laughs> – He's found a way to make her interesting and consistent with that Guardians world. Uh, yeah, and yet and make still her really totally compelling. true to I was character. wondering how they were gonna, what they were going to do. I was like, you know, everyone loves... I've just picked up a fault. Okay, so old-timey, old comic characters done in a modern way. Mantis, she had a, a pleated skirt and weird uh, sort of Asiatic eyes and then antenna in the comics, and they've turned her into something even more interesting because they made the antenna move and not in a Star Trek way. They actually seem like real. <laughs> yeah, and her whole right. They're not just bouncy. And, and those big black eyes. I mean, she just looks really, really interesting. That whole thing is really interesting. Yeah. So I'm super stoked about it, and I can't wait for that movie. So what about you? What's your number three? My number three is one that I debated on putting down just because it's kind of a – it's an it's a mix of things that I'm both trepidatious and excited about, but there's enough oh. of it all together that I thought it was worth mentioning. All right, and that is uh, Baywatch. <laughs> Damn you and your Baywatch! <laughs> uh, probably would be pretty funny. I mean, who knows? It could be. Honestly, it's got a great cast. Uh, Neil Gaiman has okay. three big things coming out. In 2017, he's got, um, sorry, sidetracked for a minute there. So he's got Norse Mythology, which is a new book coming out. Yes. And it sounds pretty interesting. It's him talking, it's him kind of retelling Norse Mythology from a Gaiman point of view. Ah, yes. Which is interesting because it's not like... A straight novel necessarily, but it sounds like he may be interconnecting the stories to kind of turn it into a novel. Yes. So from a book standpoint, that should be pretty interesting. I love all of Gaiman's books for the most part. Uh, however, one of his books that I've never really loved, loved, is American Gods. Interesting. Which the TV series looks amazing. Mm. Have you seen any of it? I've only seen the, the some of the preview stuff for it, but I didn't read the book, so okay. know, I'm extrapolating. See, and I, I was not in love with the books, or with the book, uh, but yes. the cast for the TV show looks phenomenal. 
Huh. Have you yeah, seen? Yeah, no, you're right. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, for all the cast members that I recognize, sure. Yeah, and you know, it's it's run by Brian uh, Brian Fuller, who yes is the big and he brain. He loves the material. He does. He loves the material, and Brian Fuller always has this really unique vision of things that's very Sonnenfeldian. They've worked. They work together on like thirteen thirteen Mockingbird Lane, and it's just it's a really it's a unique project for him, and I'm really excited about it. If only because I love Ian McShane and Gillian Anderson. Yes. And I so I'm excited about that. On that, on that, you're gonna ball. You're just going to watch it on that alone. Yeah, basically. Yeah, even if I had no idea what the the storyline was or had no interest in it, I would still watch it for those particular actors. So, <laughs> Absolutely. And um, then they also have a TV movie series that's being made in Britain right now that's an adaptation of the Terry Pratchett, Neil Gaiman story, Good Omens, that... I think is coming out late 2017. Huh. It's like a whole year full of gaming stuff. It really is. And it's also like, like while I'm not a huge fan of American gods, good omens is a phenomenal book. It might be one of my absolute favorite books. Really? Yeah. It's, have you ever read it? No. Oh, it's good, dude. Um, it is about, Oh, how do I describe it? Here, let me let me read you the description of it. I guess would Please be a do. good way. Please do. So good. Uh, first of all, Terry Pratchett's one of my favorite writers. Anyway, he does the Discworld series. He passed away recently. Oh yes. Um. So Good Omens. The full title is Good Omens: The Nice and Accurate Prophecies of Agnes Nutter, comma Witch. Uh, it came out uh-huh. in 1990. It was nominated for a World Fantasy Award. And basically, it is um, it is the coming of the end times. The apocalypse is near, and final judgment will soon descend upon the human species. This comes as a bit of bad news to the angel Azraphale and the demon Crowley, respectively the representatives of heaven and hell on earth, as they've become used to living their cozy, comfortable lives, and have in a perverse way taken to liking to humanity. Huh. They're good friends, despite being good and evil, and they decide to work together to keep an eye on the Antichrist. Aha. Uh-huh. And uh, it's uh, it's great, dude. There's, like, the actual Antichrist that shows up who may or may not be the Antichrist, and there's a politician who may or may not bring about the apocalypse, and it's just... Oh, it's so funny. It's one of the best books I've read ever. That sounds fantastic, actually. Yeah, it's it's an excellent novel. I was, like, when I saw that it was coming out, I'm like, oh, I like both of those guys, but I don't know about them collaborating on something. It was so good. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And, like, they haven't attached anybody as far as writers or, I mean, as far as acting or anything in it, but Neil Gaiman's an executive producer on it, and... Uh, it's, I just can't wait for it. It sounds excellent to me. So I had to put that on the list, if only because of Jillian Anderson, Ian McShane, and Good Owens. <laughs> Neil Gaiman's kind of a mystery to me because I can't say that I've really liked his comic work. 
right? Mm-hmm. I mean, in this in the sense that I wasn't goth enough as a younger as a youngster, I wasn't at all goth. Okay. So like I just his comics didn't appeal to me. I was into the more mainstream stuff, and I've looked at it later on, and I've been in, interested in things I've read from him narratives that he's written or or opinion pieces or whatever mm-hmm. or interviews with him but the actual content i never got into as a kid okay but as an adult i i feel like i really appreciate his work even though i had like i've consumed none of it right <laughs> so the idea that he's involved in these projects or that they're based on his work gives me confidence and then also you know, like American Gods, I didn't read that, but I see the casting and the and the set dressing and everything in the, the mm-hmm. context in which it's been prepared, and it looks great. And the yeah. things that you've described, I, I know those projects will be amazing, even though I've consumed very little of his stuff. Right. Yeah, I know they... nothing, but I have opinions, just like American. <laughs> That's American. all. All you need in the the internet world here. <laughs> That's right. So, what's your next one, sir? Number three on Tom's list for 2017. Dig this. My number three is Logan. Now, Logan. look, so that that new trailer came out and that was extra fuel to the fire, but I was sold on the previous one because, you know, you add Johnny Cash to anything, it's right. great. But the tone, everything we're getting from all the, the promo material is that for adults, this is the this is the Wolverine movie we wanted. It's exactly what I've always wanted from a Wolverine movie. Like I watched the Wolverine, mm-hmm. and the, the 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 youthful Tom that read that came into X Men specifically <laughs> in X Men one seventy two and nice. one seventy three wanted Logan in Japan, you know, yes. tearing, tearing stuff up, and you know this is that was all the context that I wanted from my youth, but you know so- it's still. <coughs> what, what? So it's funny to me because that's that's the number you came in on. And I started reading X-Men almost exactly 100 issues later in like, <laughs> like 244, 248, something like that. And again, uh. it's Wolverine in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> However, with one million hatch lines. <laughs> well, well, this was one of the early Jim Lee ones. And it's yeah. the one where they, they flip back and forth between modern times and the 40s with Captain America and Black Widow. Eh? No, I did not read that. I was in a blackout at that point. Oh, it's good, dude. That's a great issue. It's a single standalone issue, and it's got Wolverine looking all sweet and Captain America, and it's it's good. Uh, well, hold on, because I'm reaching for uh, beverages. That doesn't sound good to me. It sounds whatever's the opposite of good. Captain America, Wolverine, Japan. Yeah, but it's it's like Captain America and Wolverine button heads about their procedures and that kind of thing. Uh, Got a little jubilee well, in it. Yes. Okay. Well, yeah. So, okay. All right. I, I'll take your word for it because you know what? <laughs> there's, there's eras for things, but I was in a blackout at that time for that. But so Wolverine was all of the comic fan Tom stuff that I wanted from my youth. It was an unstable movie, but there was enough of it there that I was like, yeah, I'll take it. You know, <laughs> right. Um, that said, Logan is the movie that adult fans of – and I didn't even read Old Man Logan in some of those projects, but I'm aware enough of the concept. Mm-hmm. And frankly, just, you know, come on. Old, haggard, low healing factor, tired, just beat to shit. Yeah. Logan sounds fucking great. So hold on a second. The old tradition. Ow. 
cussing like a sailor. <laughs> Speaking of cussing like a sailor, I'm starting on the spiced rum. Kraken uh. rum. Crack so brought to, brought to you, not brought to you by Kraken rum. So Logan, here's the thing. I like a lot of these trailers that we've seen over the last few years. You just want the whole movie to be the trailer with the music, just like yeah. The, loop the song and make that whole movie that thing. <laughs> um, and, and my biggest concern was uh, post-apocalyptic movies are boring mm-hmm. and because of subject matter, right? And and then also seeing that they cast X-23 as this very nondescript, plain, little brown-haired white girl. Yeah. Just not, like my first read on that part was that doesn't sound good, but more ca- Johnny cash and more like weird senile look, uh, Xavier going Logan, you know, like all that stuff I want. And I'm not sure about the other part. Cause, cause I'm really for someone who doesn't read X 23 and, and is not, you know, wasn't 19 when X 23 came out. Yeah. I, really I really like that character, particularly in the modern era. I've talked about that. I really like how they turn her from something puerile into something interesting. See, and I've still not read anything with X-23 in it. I'm going to send you some, or no, I'll, I'll send you, I don't know if I can link, but I will tell you some stuff that you can check out from, uh, on uh, Marvel Unlimited, because they, they turned it from being a, uh, wolf, you know, female Wolverine in a Catholic school skirt into an actually interesting uh, concept for someone that was bred to be a killer and to be an animal and is fighting those instincts, but then sort of not fighting them. Interesting. So, yeah, she she's more interesting as a young adult. But so in those first trailers, I was like, I don't know about that part of it, right? But in this new one, particularly the Red Band one, where mm-hmm. the, this nine year old like talking about the Game of Thrones thing about the nine year old with <laughs> right, yeah, she's she's taking out trachea, you know, like, yeah. and they do some things in that trailer that I was just like so delighted. At. I love that she's stealing X Men comics from the yeah. And I know they've they've made some comments that okay this is not in necessarily in any com- continuity and all this but it doesn't matter right you it know how I feel. yeah I mean really none of those movies are in continuity anyway <laughs> you know how I feel about continuity and and multiple co- projects off the same media it doesn't or the same character I don't care just make a good movie as long as it's entertaining who gives a shit really right and I feel like that's what they've done here and it, everything I've seen in those trailers and everything I've read about it. I think it sounds great, and it's R-rated for the right reasons. Remember how we said after Deadpool, we're like, well, the next Wolverine is going to be R-rated, and they're like, it's going to be R-rated. Yeah. (laughs) But it looks, the tone of it looks so good. Yeah. So I'm really excited about that. And and the fact that you could see two trailers now and have so many questions about the world. Yeah, they've managed to show, like, virtually nothing except, she needs someone you're someone. That's all we really know. <laughs> yeah, we don't know if this is a Sentinels ravaged world. We get the sense that the, the mutants are all gone. We get the sense that the X Men did exist, and they had a high. They had sort of a heyday, and it's gone because of his comments about. Well, and I love when superhero characters look at comics of themselves and say, "Well, it wasn't like that." <laughs> like, right. To me, that's that's a fourth wall thing that I can really appreciate because it's all about myth, right? Yeah. Side note, I was just at the dinner table reading a story about Persephone to my kids. And we and I was describing to them how Greek myth is the origin of the modern superhero. The concept that the modern superhero is our version of the same concept. Yes. Taking these fundamental themes 
imbuing powers into humanoids, telling morality tales with them um, and projecting onto them the way we would our, you know, our fantasies and stuff. So we were talking about that and I love that a project like this can happen um, and excite me as much as it does. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I was a, such a huge fan of Wolverine since day one when I started reading comics seriously. And to have a property coming out that I'm as excited as I am about this, it really should be higher on it. But the other X-Men movies just haven't quite renewed my faith yet. Well, and and, and uh, her and, Lo- you know, X-23 and Logan reading... That's a lot of cracking around there, buddy. Yeah. Uh, them, them reading an X-Men comic and then him saying, well, only a third of this happened and not this way. To me, that's a, that's a nod to the, to the myth. That's what I love about superhero comics is that this is a – I love that fourth wall thing that the superhero character could look at a superhero comic of themselves and say, well, that's not realistic. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, yeah, that's, that's pretty great. I'm looking forward to that. And the and the casting, everything around everything we've seen so far, it looks fantastic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, having had a father who passed away fairly recently, who was uh, both senile and in very poor health for a long time, um, aged Xavier. We should note sort of, that Tom is apparently mixing up beverages in loud bottles right next to the microphone. He's not urinating into a, a bathtub <laughs> or something. <laughs> I just made a dark. I made a dark and stormy. It sounds like you put uh, about seventy-four ounces of Kraken in that dark and stormy. I will neither confirm nor deny that about our unofficial, official, unofficial sponsor, Kraken Rum. <laughs> Hashtag Kraken Rum. Hashtag and, Kraken. And bottoms up, unfiltered ginger beer. Uh, that all having been said, um, look, Logan will be good. Yeah, for will. nothing else, because. Fury Road taught us that sepia means business. <laughs> With some, some nice dashes of color. <laughs> yes, sepia and blood. So anyway, that's I'm excited about it. Yeah, me too. What about you? What's next? Number two? Uh, number two on my list. I, I had a hard time with this one because he... Jumped on and then jumped off and then swung back on and then swung off. Swung on. And he had to swing back in after, like, like I sat down and I was like, okay, here's my top, like, 15. I'm going to watch trailers. Did he web glide in? Yeah, he did. did. He web glowed in. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> I had to put Spider-Man back on the list after rewatching the trailer, man. So Homecoming looks good. It really does, right? I mean, it's like what I want my Spider-Man to be, really. Oh my God! Listen, the, the super modern superhero movies can be defined as a before and after the discovery of Holland. As far as I'm concerned, that guy has epitomized the young, inexperienced, but enthusiastic and confident superhero character. He has defined Spider-Man to me. Yeah, in nothing, in no screen time. In Instagram, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> no, it looks great. It looks great. It really does. And, you know, I I love, love Michael Keaton so much. And the idea of seeing him play yeah, a villain yeah. is extremely exciting to me. Yes, I agree. I agree. And also, I like all the things we're hearing about. In a lot of these movies, I'm not that into 
the civilian life components because they don't give them any there there. Mm -hmm. Like I don't care. I actually liked the civilian X-Men in Apocalypse and I actually wish yeah. the, the the deleted scenes and stuff had come in. For some reason I was interested in those actors playing them as young students. But yeah, I really a, like I would general, have liked to have just seen an entire movie of just them hanging out and being students and having maybe small things to conquer. Like they defeat the blob or something at the mall. I would have loved that yeah. movie. <laughs> well, you know, actually I take everything back that I just told you. Because when I think about it, if I've said anything about any of these movies over the last several years, it's that I like the civilian side more. Absolutely. That, you know, uh, uh, Nolan's Bruce Wayne was much more interesting than his Batman. And the Marvel of the Avengers in their civilian uh, interactions are more interesting than in their costumed interactions. But right. there's something specifically about knowing that that movie is almost entirely him in high school and John Hugh, and that they've called out John Hughes as a reference. Yeah. Really excites me. Yeah, I... Well, and, uh, like, like the, the supporting cast, like, I really like the, the girl they cast for Mary Jane. Zendaya. Yeah, I think she's really charming. What's her name in the... They've claimed, they're claiming she's not Mary Jane, right? Really? She's, like... I don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen... I, I've i been so, trying to somewhat black out certain yeah, things. Me too, yeah. I've not been super successful, but I've been trying to. And I that's admit, one I, that... I don't know when that's coming out, honestly. We should have been announcing release dates on some of these if we knew them. Nah, no one cares. But <laughs> I, I'm, I'm alarmed by some of the Stark tech. I don't want the utility belt full of bullshit. Uh, but I... Yeah. But I and, and, and actually... As the guy that's a, you know, like a techie instead of a Trekkie, the guy that loves the weird continuity, um, you know, wants all things, these the technology to be internally consistent. I'm really excited about knowing, are we going to see him before Stark finds him? And then are we going to see him after? Like, is this movie running parallel to Civil War? Because I'm hoping that's the case. I'm assuming so, but yeah, I really wonder too, because I want to see him in his, his schlubby, inefficient... Yeah. outfit i don't want to you know, see in yeah. all cyber tech fancy pants stuff i mean you know how much i love year one stuff like all the ranting i did about how i wanted batman year one and then we got the daredevil season one <laughs> right entirely him in black in a black long sleeve shirt and tactical pants and boots and i was just like i couldn't be happier <laughs> he got his armor <laughs> and i was disappointed you know what i mean like come on right i love, I love inexperienced improvisational superheroing where they make mistakes and they're just kind of trying to figure out and you know what they what they're going to become right that's i love those stories it's so, the journey and, and you know yes, that's yes. when things are most interesting and i'm I, sure that's why they've done the origin story 97 times but yes 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 i i hope there's no uncle ben deaths in this one because i really i don't. hope so so uh, throughout this whole podcast by the way let me give you let me paint a picture for you uh, I have my little BB-8, you know, the little uh, Sphero mm -hmm. remote control BB-8, okay? And it sits in a cradle and charges when you're not using it. And they made it a firmware upgrade that was long overdue, I don't know, six months ago or five months ago. And what it did was that when your BB-8 is charging, mm -hmm. it's somewhat active. In other words, it kind of moves around and stuff, which is all I ever wanted because it sits on my desk all the time and it hardly ever gets played with because my right. kids – like the cat – 
the kitten takes the head and all that stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, which is funny, but not that funny. So, right. okay. Anyway, I try to tell you and all of our 333 listeners some very important bon mots about my hopes and fears, right? My deepest feelings. Mm-hmm. And, in t- and, and throughout this, BB-8's going to looking at me like, uh, are you sure? <laughs> you really want to double down on that? You really Judge. don't like civ- you don't like civilians, right? <laughs> so anyway, that was pretty funny. I'm being judged by a remote control toy. That's okay. My it's number not the two. First time. Any more about Spider-Man? I like the webs. I like the 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 the, the under underarm webs, the Ditko stuff. I Me love too. that. Yeah. Love that. Um, I like the banter in the bank robbery, the ATM scene. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, I I'm seeing a lot about his enthusiasms. That I like. I love his his high pitched young kid squeaky voice too. It works, and it also really I does. like it. Really does, and I like the fact that they've so far. I'm gonna ruin this. Tomorrow they're gonna have a big sneak trailer that's gonna <laughs> come out. Ruin everything. But I love that we've had that the average because you know another thing going back to the Weekly Planet podcast. So they like to point out that there's the mainstream watcher and then there's the nerd, right, or the right. or the genre person, and it's true. If you think about things from the perspective of the average moviegoer who's not into the material and just wants to see a movie, mm-hmm. right? Uh, they look at this the way I look at Power Rangers or something like, well, okay, that's a thing that's happening. Are you know, to me, I'm seeing nuance in the choices they've made, and then I think about the average viewer and are they going to be entertained or not? Mm-hmm. And I think they're going to be entertained. I think I they're going to so. believe that it's a teenager just starting out and feeling really overconfident. Yeah. Yeah, and so, I, I, like I like the idea of seeing him uh, go up against something that isn't just a bunch of superheroes fighting, too. I, yeah. I'm really excited about seeing Tom Holland play that aspect of, of Spider-Man. Yeah. It was great that they introduced him in the worst stage fright moment. Like, mm-hmm. here you are, here's Civil War. That was great, but... Yeah, it'll be interesting to see him on his home turf, so to speak. And oh, I know what I was going to say before was I love that the trailers have given you nothing of Keaton. Yes, right. Yeah, there's like like one one second boop of right. him, and that's been it. So going back to the average moviegoer, what they're seeing is a bunch of enthusiasm, a bunch of the kid in the Spider-Man costume, you know, zipping around, mm-hmm. being excited about it, and they have no they have no idea about any other context in the story. And to be fair, we don't either, really. Yeah, we really don't. But, yeah, but but we know that other back end of it, and I think, and so that gives me some hope because it's a th- it's a it's a trailer. It's a couple two, couple trailers now that have given us very little, mm-hmm. and I like that about it. Me They've given too. us a lot of a lot of uh, tone and not a lot of content, and I like that. Yeah. So what's your number two, Tom? Because I have no idea what this anagram is. <laughs> you keep asking me and I keep dodging it. It's Gits, man. Yeah, what That's the hell is Gits, dude? Hashtag Gits, man. You can go to this. I'll go get your Gits. If you go to this awesome website that I know of called www.robot-kraken.com and you, you use the hashtag Gits, mm-hmm. you would see articles on this very subject. Man. Oh, really? Ghost in the Shell. Oh, shit. Don't you feel silly? Don't I do feel, feel silly. I yeah, I should have I should have anticipated that actually. I should have been able to You know what? If that hadn't been sitting in front of me, I probably could have guessed that without the uh, the yeah. That's that's me being a no. moron. Yeah, it's coffee and whiskey. No, I don't think so. <laughs> so as you see, my list is going from 
known to unknown enthusiasms, right? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little so, more unknowny about this one. So number two, so I'm a big, big cyberpunk fan, old school cyberpunk fan, and yes, so you are in the in the literary stuff, and then also in the in the in the comics and the manga. And so to me, Masamune Shira, a huge influence for me. I don't think Ghost in the Shell is his best work. I mean, I really mm-hmm. prefer Appleseed probably, but the the thing is, from a from a you know from an imagery standpoint, it's a really interesting project, easily yeah. done wrong, and it was so doomed to fail. Mm-hmm. Only my number one choice in this list is more doomed to fail than this, <laughs> as far as an adaptation that that genre people are excited about or there are yes. high expectations for it. But man, oh man, those I, first of all. First of all, I love the – I think that they're doing the teaser marketing really well on this project. They're inserting this whole thing where they insert these little clips from the movie as hackers – like hacker intrusions in other media. Yes. It's perfect for the context. Perfect. People who are seeing this don't understand why that is so perfect as it is, right? Right. I saw it on the web several times before I saw it in the theater. And in the theater, it was even more powerful because you saw the like this preview is for this audience and whatever else. And coming up next, it's the talking cat or whatever. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> and then you see her kicking someone's butt and then and it comes back and it's talking cat again. And it was not. And I think what impressed me was it wasn't like this, this material that they interrupted was fake. Right. They interrupted real material. They interrupted <laughs> like a previews for another legitimate project to do this trail, this mini sneak. And then they go back to the trailer for the original project. Yeah, I think that's, that's pretty amazing sweet. to me. Yeah. So it looks so good. And I agree. Johnny Mnemonic looked good. <laughs> William <laughs> Gibson stood on set and said, well, I look at everything on set and it sure looks good. <laughs> yeah. Give me another hit of that stuff. But uh, I, I have, I, I'm cautiously optimistic, but I'm so looking forward to this being good. I really want it to work. I want it to be good, and everything I've seen of it at least looks visually consistent with what I want it to look like for mm-hmm. it. And that's a good thing, certainly. The uh, the sex geishas look amazing. Yeah. And uh, and I and I wrote to robot-kraken.com about the art book, which I've already pre-ordered. Nice. And I've seen some pages from that book, and I'm just like, this movie could be just complete garbage, hot garbage, and that book will get me through it. Uh, Star Wars Episode stuff. One all over again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, not that bad. But uh, the, you know, some of the imagery about the way that they're interpreting some of these things just looks so perfectly cyberpunk. I love yeah. it. I love it. So I want it to succeed. I want, and I think actually, Ghost in the Shell, like a lot of projects they start to get weird out of the, you know, the farther you get from that era, they're so topical. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Neuromancer, for example, my favorite, Neuromancer and Count Zero, my favorite Gibson books. Okay. Those books were a thing in the 80s. They made total sense. And the farther you get from them, the, and the more that we've adopted all this stuff as common parlance, the less sort of innovative or interesting they are from that perspective, but they're good writing. Yeah. Ghost in the Shell, I don't know. I don't know if, I mean, we've had a million AIs and a million sort of, you know, cybernetic humanoids and fembots and various other things. 
it's almost like it veers on the John Carter problem. Yeah, right? yeah, modern really audiences does. just take all that for granted. They don't know where it came from. Yeah, it's one of those things where they're like, "Oh, we've seen this seven thousand times," and you're like, "What? No, this was the first one, you fools!" <laughs> That's right. Well, and I'll tell you what really sold me on the on the full trailer. You know, I, I saw all the graphics that I liked, and I liked the imagery. I liked the I like the costume design and I like some of the, the sort of the frenetic nature of the of the cuts that they did. But what I really appreciated and what gave me big hope was I was absolutely convinced they were going to change the major's primary costume for mm-hmm. uniform because in the comics it made sense. In the manga it made sense and, and in the OAV as well mm-hmm. uh, because of the medium right. that she would be in a ivory sort of sort of an off-white color like completely plain bodysuit that you know she just gets to draw abs on it all day long you know what i mean like you know what i mean it, it's just basically nude right right so i was convinced because scarlett johansson for all of her popularity as a you know most attractive person mm-hmm. 2013 or whatever she doesn't have the six foot five ultra emaciated supermodel body that the comics had right and i thought well and also from on film if you imagine it extrapolated to film an ivory bodysuit is not going to read no it wouldn't look good if done poorly and they put her in it and you know cgi whatever but they put that character in that look and they show it in the trailer and it's not she doesn't look like a supermodel no i mean she looks you know more cut than 99 percent of the women of her age (laughs) but she doesn't look exaggerated superhero style mm-hmm. she kind of looks like she's wearing an ivory bodysuit yeah and i thought that was really 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 bold for them to do that yeah i thought it was it was interesting that they found a a, a proper analog to the original piece definitely if, you know if they had hired if i was on their concept you know con- you know production design staff or whatever and i was asked to find a way to pull those major costumes and those looks into film i would have made that an all-black bodysuit or something right yeah like i would have made it she's a blur she's constantly in motion it it just looks sleek and rad or whatever and maybe a little bit of you know trony stuff on it and, and, and you call it done and the fact that they went for the ivory bodysuit was so pure to the source material and i i guess that could be a bad sign <laughs> but to me that was that was a sign of confidence that i really appreciated. yeah it was one of those things that genuinely surprised <laughs> me like yeah. I thought sure that was going to be one of the first things that they tweaked for the show. Yeah. yeah. Six minutes on body suits, but there you go. Yes. As and, as no, and no Robot Kraken does. <laughs> yes. No Baywatch. All goes to the show. Yes. So anyway, that's my number two. It's get I'm getting up there in my list on uncertainty, and that's what excites me. And see, and that's that's exactly where I am with my number one, and it's a little bit of an off the wall choice for this. Indeed it is. Tell me what it is. In 2017, I believe it comes out in November. Yes. Kenneth Branagh is directing and starring in a movie. Yes. It's a remake of a movie and a book. Yes. Um, He is playing Perot in Murder on the Orient Express. Yes, indeed. And I am so excited about this movie. I'm with you, man. That sounds fantastic. Oh, my God. Did you see the cast of this movie? No. Well, I saw the cast, but I haven't seen anything else. Have they had anything? They haven't had anything else. They're filming currently. Talk about the cast. So, okay. Johnny Depp. Yes. Daisy Ridley. 
Yeah, oh yes. Michelle Pfeiffer. Josh Gad. Penelope Cruz. Yes. Michael Pena. Oh, yes. Willem Dafoe. <laughs> Dame Duty Dench. Yes. I mean, it's just an obscene wealth. You already Josh said Gad Josh Gad. <laughs> yeah, he's in that, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, he's building a Cause snowman. Because they were filming that when he did this, this video, came out a couple of days ago, where it's like kind of contrived but he invites daisy ridley into his trailer to talk about random stuff and then he just drills her on last jedi oh he nice drills her. he drills her Drill. about last jedi yes okay how is this not like a wes anderson film or something i don't know but kenneth Branagh, man i as as random and all over the place as his stuff is i i can't wait to see what he does with this I was talking to someone about this film uh, very recently, like in the last day or so, once you put your list up, and I mentioned that I could imagine, I see, I feel like I see the film in my head, and what I realize it is, is it's just a bunch of cut scenes from Grand Budapest, you know, <laughs> Grand Budapest Hotel, <laughs> then riding the train, and they're all timey, and there's a mustache weird, you know, well, if you they can beat that, you know. I, you know, I think maybe that's one reason I'm kind of glad that he isn't doing it. Yeah, you're yeah. Um, because it would just be a little bit of a rehash to a certain extent. I think you're right. That sounds so good, though. It really does. I'm very excited about it. Like, Murder on the Orient Express what? isn't necessarily my favorite Christie novel, but I think it's going to be a fun movie. And also, it's a labor of love to put a project like that out now. Absolutely. Right? You know, you know that there's. It's not like that was a hot, a hot subject that dueling scripts were circling the blacklist in Hollywood, right? Right. You know, he, he showed up and said, here's my money, and here's some investors, and we're going to make murder in the Orient. What? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The suits that he talked to probably didn't know what it was. And they're like, right? par, par, par who? Par who? <laughs> yes. yeah. Interesting, though, it'll be, it will be interesting to me whether Kenneth Branagh can, can – uh, can muddy himself up enough to look like that character. Yeah, I'd be really curious to see because he's like, not an attractive man. Yes, and I mean the character anyway. Yeah, and he's got that that weird mustache. Right. And he's got this this strange way about him that I'm kind of excited to see. I mean, I I was surprised at Branagh's uh role in Harry Potter when he played that super bombastic egotistic yeah. And I think that this is going to be a unique way of doing it. I I kind of can't wait to see what he looks like as Perot and what they're doing. I, I don't know. I'm super excited. You know, it's interesting for actors like that. They go two they go two two directions in uh, in these kinds of films. They either make themselves look really, you know, really really glorious because of their ego, mm-hmm. or they throw themselves into a level of absurdity in the uh, in the practical effects and stuff and and you know all the applique to make them look so hideous and weird and then they have fun slumming it because they're pretty people but they look really you know what i mean right yeah like there's no middle ground yeah and what i think would be interesting about that is can kenneth brown just sort of kind of just you know what i mean yeah do it without becoming a an al pacino in a Dick caricature Tracy. of the character, right. yeah. Do you know, years ago, I, I swear to you, back when we used to do uh, fantasy castings on the forum more regularly, uh, 
I had an idea of this character as played by John Polito, who's passed mm-hmm. away in 2016. Hashtag 2016, what the fuck? Yeah, no kidding. John Polito. Now, granted, it's heavily influenced by his role as Johnny Casper in Miller's Crossing, but I had this idea that if he – because he's had a couple of roles where that where that actor was able to be more dynamic and be less of a character actor. Mm-hmm. I thought it would be really interesting of him being a modern a modern take on Pharrell. Yeah, that would be. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and it's it's interesting too because the the screenwriter of Murder on the Orient Express is also the screenwriter on uh, American Gods. Really? He did the screenplay for Logan. He wrote the what? story for Alien Covenant. What? And he's doing the screenplay for our next film we're talking about. The hell you say? I am shit you not, sir. Name the screenwriter. This uh, the screenwriter's name is Michael Green. Oh, Michael Green. And he's done so, a lot of other stuff, but like he wrote for Gotham. Um, he well, that's not a good thing. <laughs> no, well, and he also did the story for Green Lantern. Yeah. Um, he wrote ten episodes of Smallville, and nothing really beyond that, aside from a couple episodes of Heroes. Not the same as the actor that was in To Live and Die in L.A., one of the best movies ever made. No, no. Very different man. So he's a showrunner on American Gods. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, so this, it's, it's, if he has become a good writer and showrunner, it bodes well for most of our list, apparently. (laughs) A a lot of people really enjoyed Smallville, and he was uh, a producer in that. That's interesting. Okay. All right. I'll bite. So, yeah, I'm so into that, let me tell you. Yes. When does it come out? Not until November. So that's another one that's right at the end of the year. Bah. But we're on it. We are on the Orient Express, Tom. All right. Well, here's the deal. Let's take the Orient Express all the way into a bleak dystopia known as the Blade Runner world. Because my number one pick is Blade Runner 2049. Oh, yeah. So I was not the least I was not the least amused by the name because uh, my favorite role playing game, if you were to set aside D and D because it's mm-hmm. the creator of all things, and then if you were to set aside Marvel superheroes because I stole it basically for all of my stuff. Right. My favorite role playing games were the cyberpunk RPG from Artel. Or uh, actually, wrote that. Ah. I'm blanking, but anyway, apologies in advance. <laughs> but the uh, the cyberpunk role playing game, I got to beta test the original, and I got to beta test the up- update to it when I was working at a at a hobby shop, and they felt the need to put a date on it. Okay, this is before uh, it's this is before Shadowrun stole the cyberpunk concept and stuck it on D and D and called it Shadowrun. So when they came out with the the cyberpunk role playing game, they said Cyberpunk 2012. This was in 1989. Or right. right. And I remember even as a as a young impressionable youth, I thought I said putting a date on it is not a good idea. <laughs> it's like in the movies where they're like, it's 1999. Everyone has jetpacks. Right. You know, it's like it's not a good idea. <laughs> and then they and then they doubled down because they put the update in the they put the big budget update to the game and they called it like you know Cyberpunk 2032. And I'm like, well. Still no jetpacks, you know what I mean? Right. So it, it amused me that they gave a date to the name Blade Runner 2049. But let me tell you this. I don't know 
that I remember a project more doomed to fail than a remake of or a sequel to Blade Runner. Yeah. Like when they started talking about it, and it's Villeneuve and all those guys. They, when they started talking about it, it's like everyone just kind of went rolled their eyes, right? Like, dude, <laughs> what are you doing? You can't make a sequel to that movie. It's like it's like making a movie called Rosebud, you know? Right. It just doesn't make sense. Like, it's a movie. If, if there's a list of movies that don't need sequels, it's Blade Runner. Absolutely. And yet, because of my thing, where I will accept, I fully accept other versions of movies and and media in worlds that I like and it doesn't affect my love of the original whatever fine right. I'll take it and I'm the minority on that but when they started talking about remaking it and then they said that they got they hooked Ryan Gosling on it right the the baby goose as you like to say as the baby goose yes I was in I was enthused because and we had nothing at that time no right. image we know nothing cinematographer as a director or whatever and I thought you know but but Ryan Gosling has made a very consistent effort at picking and choosing projects to expand his 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 body of work and he's chosen very well and, and interestingly movies, interestingly and then even in movies that were so so he was the standout in them absolutely and he took them and and if there's if nothing else and i wasn't always a fan of the goose mm-hmm. but if nothing else he is really really focused on being all in and giving his best to a role absolutely so when he signed on, I thought, well, maybe, you know, <laughs> and there's everybody was hating on it. Oh, that's an outrage. Oh, that's outrage. But I thought, you know, hmm, if he's on, maybe there's something there. Yeah. And then we finally only recently actually got imagery from it. And with with the exception of the fact that they apparently had a contractual clause that said that for Harrison Ford's role for his portion of it, they could just go to his apartment and fill in between, <laughs> in between bong hits. And that's it. <laughs> like he's in a t-shirt. You know, right. really matter. Everything I saw in that trailer, like I didn't even know. Like I wasn't even going to watch it. And then I watched it. And then I was hovering over the pause. You know, like I was like, do I want to even see this? I was so happy with what I saw. Yeah, it's uh, it's really gorgeous, honestly. And it looks true to the original in terms of imagery. I mean, so much of it is like... Right there. <laughs> well, and like Ghost in the Shell, you know, uh, cinematography and really great design does not make a good movie. Right. We've talked about this. It could be completely hot, a uh, total hot mess, garbage fire. But I just, I, I'm choosing to be optimistic about it because it's such a precious product, mm-hmm. right? It's such a precious object for them to play with. And it I is. want it, to, I want it to look good. I want it to feel good when we watch it. Yeah. And so, and I wasn't always a fan of Gosling, but I think it was around the good guys, but somewhere. God, he's I so decided, good in that movie. <laughs> I, I just decided that he owns the screen when he's on it. And, and so there you go, you know? Nice. So anyway, so that's my number one. What about you? Uh, that's, uh, yeah. Oh, I you had gave heard, you my heard, number one. What's your zero? <laughs> your number zero. Baywatch. I can't, I can't get more excited than all excited, Tom. Baywatch. <laughs> so that, that's our 2017 right there. So, Chris, some of the movies that didn't make the cut that we were excited about. Justice League. Mm-hmm. Which I'm I mean, not actually yeah. excited about, but I'll watch it. Oh, right. It, it <laughs> seems doomed. It seems doomed, but of course it's a movie about the Justice League. So yes. We'll, I, I want it to be good. 
Yes, I'd love for it to be good, but images of them images of them standing around don't make me excited. Right. But at least uh at least Cyborg's weird internally illuminated nuclear crevasse is looking slightly more interesting, but and Jason Momoa is in it. I'll, yeah, I'll sure. watch pretty much anything with him in it. Yeah, sure. Um another one is Alien Covenant. I mean, I I want that to be good. I do too. I didn't hate Prometheus the way a lot of people did, even though I admit that it had a lot of WTF in it. Mm-hmm. But I want I want Covenant to be good. Yeah, I do too. Um, John Wick two. Now look, I, mean, I still haven't seen the first one. What, dude? I, I I can't find it anywhere. And you might or might not have a friend that could stream it to you. Well, we saying. might have to figure that out because I've heard it's excellent, and That's I want to be those... excited about the second one. But I won't even watch the trailer till I've seen the first one. So. That one, that first movie. I mean, it looks so generic, and like, what's the point? And then I saw, then people started talking about it. I saw it on the plane, so I saw it thinking, not great, you know, on the way to Jakarta, eighteen rums in <laughs> circumstances, and I was just like, huh, nice. So, I had such a good vibe after seeing the first one. It goes, it goes a long way. Stop consulting your manuscript. Sorry, Sorry. I was turning the page over. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta <laughs> see John Wick one, and then you'll be excited about John Wick two because nice. they completely revitalized the B movie, martial arts revenge, violent action movie genre. Like it's like, it takes it over <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> okay. Also, what I put Planet of the Apes just because I like the first two, and I, you know, I've only I, seen the first two too. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, well, that's all there is, right? No, but I isn't mean, there? Isn't this the fourth? Third, it's the third. Is one. it? Yeah, because at the end of the second one, even though Scar or whatever they called him was disgraced, Caesar. See, no, Scar, the whatever the bad, the bad ape, the one that tried to revolt against Caesar and didn't want to would didn't want to have peace with the humans. Remember, he had a scar on his face, and he's you know, meh, yeah. see, meh. Circus Two. <laughs> Maybe have I really only seen one of them then? Eh, really? I don't know. Let me look here. So the first one was James Franco training the training right, the which the was all right. Then there's Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which is the one where they're out in the wild, and it's got uh, what's his name who played John Connor in the most recent. You know what? I don't think I've seen that. Okay, so. Hmm. What's his brain? Who watched? It's called War for the Planet of the Apes. Is the movie. right Dawn of the and, Planet of the Apes is the one I don't think I've seen. Well, wait a minute. Really? Yeah, the oh. new one's War. Oh, it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Okay, so the first one of the reboots was sentience being or uh, elevated sentience being given to the apes, and then them, them being released. Right. And then the second one is they're already out there, and you've seen the ravages of the world already. So it's it's post-apocalyptic already. Okay, so yeah, I don't think I've seen that one yet. But it's in my neighborhood, basically, right? So it's all Marin, right? right. <laughs> it's Marin, it's Marin, the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, which so I can see. Cool. I can see monkeys running around there. Yeah, there's a scene in this movie. You ha- you have to see it. There's a scene in this movie where. Because the humans don't fully understand, mm-hmm. they don't believe it. They don't fully understand. So the scene where the bad, the bad, the the leader of the bad apes, kind of comes up to some some humans in a, in one of their little outcroppings, their little outposts, and it's all like kind of walks up and they're like, "Oh look, there's an ape," and I feel like maybe they didn't know 
that, that this was a war against the apes. They just knew <laughs> that there was a cataclysmic event that killed civilization and power was at a, you know, was precious and they were in this sort of isolation. They didn't have communication with each other, that sort of thing, right? Okay. So they're like, they're in some sort of like crow's nest or whatever. And the ape kind of walks up and, you know, and is really like being very traditional chimp, right? Oh, okay. And and the soldiers are like looking at it and kind of laughing. And then it kind of comes over, it picks up the AR-17 or one of the, you know, assault rifle. Uh-huh. And they're like, oh, it's got the gun. Oh, it's funny. And then he's like, oh, oh, like he doesn't know what to do. And then he just turns and mows him down. <laughs> That's awesome. And it was a brilliant scene because they already knew that they could dumb themselves down to get the drop on the humans because the humans were so stupid they didn't realize the apes had evolved yet. Okay. Anyway, you got to see that. Yeah, I'll have so to I watch want, that. I definitely want to see the new one. It didn't make my top five, but, you know, I, and, and the more apocalyptic it gets, the less interesting it is right. to me. But uh, anyway, and then also uh, the new Pirates of the Caribbean. I mean, they fell they fell apart towards the middle or whatever. I didn't even see, I think, the last yeah, one Yeah, I haven't two. seen at least the last two, yeah. But how can we not root for a pirate movie? Yeah. On, on this right. podcast. And right? the trailer looks pretty solid, honestly. What an interesting, I mean, after Davy Jones, it's, and you know, they really didn't know what to do as far as interesting villains, right? Right. When you've, when you've got an octopus as a mouth, it's not, <laughs> how do you get past that, right? But uh, Javier Bardem, first of all, makes everything better. And then yeah. The idea that he's like this zombie, this ghostly sort of half desiccated face um, and has that sort of whimsy to him. I thought that was fantastic. So yeah, it looks really neat. And then, of course, the last thing is, uh, at least on my list, uh, of the items that were not included on uh, on the list, uh, <laughs> is the one that's very popular for a lot of other people, is Thor Ragnarok. You know, it, it bubbled under on mine. Like, I was really close to putting it on it, because I am quite excited about that, but it just... You know, that's a fun movie. It's not a movie that I stay yeah. up late being like, oh, I can't wait to yeah. see this. The tone of it, I, I'm really unsure of what you're going to get. But that, right. I had that vibe about Guardians of the Galaxy, too. So maybe that's true. Maybe maybe we're going to get something like that. But, you know, uh, Planet Hulk, I didn't read that as, you know, as a reader, I wasn't interested in it. And I really don't. You know, I've read Hulk. it and I still don't remember anything about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't need any of that. And a buddy film with Hulk. I mean, I'm down with buddy films with Marvel stuff. So mm-hmm. in that sense, I'm going to give it. I'm just going to assume it's going to be great. Well, and but, everything Take a White Titty's done, I've loved yes, too. Yes, 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 yes. But uh, you know, just the imagery, and then he puts the first official stuff out for it, and it's '80s neon. Right. Stuff. It's so not the weird. way to go with me. Yeah. 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 So, but. I think Doctor Strange is going to be in it. Maybe Howard the Duck or something. I don't know. Yeah, something. I don't know. I'm, it's I'm going a... to be. Yeah, we'll like it, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, I agree. So that's our 2017. There's yeah. 79 other movies we didn't talk about, but I mean, I'm you know. sure we will. <laughs> well, bad, should we man. take a little break and come yes. back and talk a little bit of dream casting, perhaps? Yes. Sounds Let's do good. It. Deeply Dapper Dispatch's podcasts are all brought to you by Deeply Dapper, of course. Whether you're looking for geeky decor, strange and unusual nerdy soap, or a piece of fine art for your walls, Deeply Dapper is your answer. Everything we make is handmade by my wife and I, and have been featured on sites like Wired, Reddit, Shut Up and Take My Money, BuzzFeed, and more. Give the gift of geek or class up your own home with DeeplyDapper.com. 
You can also find us on Etsy or one of our many Comic-Con stops around the western United States. Deeply Dapper, better living through tentacles. Now, back to the show. So welcome back to Robot Kraken. Welcome back to Robot Kraken. I imagine the ad you just heard was either for some sort of sweet, sweet art site or some sort of growth serum. (laughs) (laughs) Someone threw a medicine ball at someone else. Yes. And and were humiliated in front of girls or whatever. There were many balls and grunting. Yes. Or you get get the opportunity to buy an ant farm. So (laughs) that sponsorship didn't go through, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) So Aunt May's ant farm. <laughs> so we were going to talk about. We were going to come back and talk about. Wait, first of all, are you still drinking that one beer with the swords? Uh, no, I finished it. I finished my coffee and I moved on to water. It's nonsense, absolute nonsense. I know. So, but I, have to, I have to dig my car out of like three inches of snow, or three inches, three inches of snow, <laughs> three yeah. feet of snow tomorrow so that I can actually go out that and buy like, some groceries, so. That sounds like, that sounds like California problems, three inches of snow. Yeah, three whole inches, it's a terrible nightmare. So Tom, yes, sir. about a year ago, or possibly yes. three years ago, you awesome. challenged me to do a casting. <laughs> yes, I'm so stoked, all right, of, go ahead. The Runaways comic in movie form. Runaways, one of my favorite comics, yes. I love the comic as well, although I only read the first two hardcover trades, I think. Probably all you need. Yeah, really. Or you didn't, I don't remember. Um, Well, we have an announcement, ladies and gentlemen, of the world that listens to us. You're never going to believe it, but I still don't have casting for that. (laughs) However, you set me up up and then you let me down. There's only so long Tom can keep up his hopes. No, it's not. That's not true. (laughs) Yeah, that's not true at all. It's like 74 (laughs) years later. Tom's like, do you have your runaways casting? (laughs) Is it time for my match? <laughs> can you imagine me in some sort of home? I I don't see how that scenario is going to happen, but can you imagine me as a runaway? <laughs> We're like sure. those young whippersnappers are forty five now. <laughs> Constantly pressing the little button under the thing. You know. <laughs> He's a flight risk, so you don't have it. I do not. Do you want me to just tell you mine? And yeah, tell me yours. It? Okay, it's not as hard as you make it. Okay. Fantasy casting can be any person that you want to put in the role. You can go crazy with it, or you can be totally on canon with the comics. You can pick someone from any time period. You could put Linda Lovelace in here. I don't care. Linda Lovelace. Anything. It doesn't matter. Actors when they were young. doesn't matter. But anyway, so here we are. <laughs> My Runaways casting. Molly Hayes. Mm-hmm. The young girl with the power, the, the strength that grows up in later continuity and becomes... You know, super strong like She-Hulk. Okay, Molly Hayes, <laughs> Iris Apatow. That's what I put. Okay, that is. that's that's fair that enough. Is. Yeah, one of the Apatow daughters. Just yeah. picture this. This is forty. Pick one of the daughters. Yeah. Okay. I'm okay enthusiasms, with that. Enthusiasms, a lot of charm, a lot of confidence on screen. That's all you need. Because she gives no shits in that comic, right? She's just like, why are you guys being yeah. so stupid? Yeah, that's good casting for that. 
So for Carolina Dean, who's the one that has the rainbow sort of weird effects and is an alien. Right. She's got, in the comics, she's like kind of thin and blonde. I cast uh, Haley Steinfeld. Oh. Now. Interesting. Steinfeld. Haley Steinfeld? Haley, so, yeah. Yeah, that was sort of a hybrid between how she came off in uh, True Grit mm-hmm. and some of her sort of confidence that she has as a pop singer in some of her videos and stuff. But 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 I imagine her blonde in that scenario. I have a hard time picturing her as a blonde. You don't remember True Grit? Was she blonde in that? She's kind of brownish, she blondish hair. Yeah, she wasn't. <laughs> she wasn't dark brunette. She wasn't like jet black hair. I feel like she had really dark brown hair in that. Let's say it's blonde. <laughs> and let's say it's a perfect casting choice. All right. So Victor Mancha. There's no like in order of importance on this. Stop it. So uh, I'm looking up images right now. <laughs> <laughs> Her hair is dark brown in that movie, dude. Totally blonde, and except for where double it's braids. <laughs> double braids. That could work with the character. Braids are hot. Okay, so Victor Mancha. <laughs> so this is the guy that shows up about in like the second volume of it or whatever, and he's the he's the nominal son of of Ultron. He's an android, but he's been designed to look like a, a teenage human for no reason, and he's got a Hispanic background for no reason. Also, for no reason, right? Victor Mancha. <laughs> yeah, I chose. Actually, I chose, just based on look and stuff, Ezra Miller, who's the mm. Justice League's Flash. Interesting. I could okay. see. That's a, that's good casting. I'll pick that, yeah. I pick okay. him. I choose you, Pikachu. You maybe, or may, maybe, or maybe not send me a photo. The hell with you. <laughs> look I how dark her I'm... hair is there, Tom. Look how Carolina Deanish she looks. <laughs> All right. Next, Nico Minoru, my favorite member of the, of the Runaways. Nico's great. Uh, I, I cast Jamie Chung. Do you know who that is? Oh, uh, yeah. That's not a bad idea. Yep. Okay. Uh, you Interesting. Know, yeah. Yeah. Let it roll around the tongue a bit. I'm not going to let Jamie Chung roll around my tongue. Well, <laughs> your loss. Okay. Next, Chase Stein. This is a tough one because... That was the blonde, had... cocky kid, right? Blonde jock, yeah. right? He was kind of eased into it, and then he got big gloves or whatever. He was sort of in denial that he was part of it until he wasn't. Okay. Right. So I cast Blake Jenner, who is the Ugh. protagonist in Everybody Wants Some. I've not seen that. Okay, so sort of athletic, handsome, but uh, well, anyway, go go uh, go Google Blue. Yeah, I just Blake googled Jenner. him, and that's a good fit. Okay. Yeah. And then finally, uh, Gertrude Yorks, mm-hmm. uh, who, of course, met a terrible fate in the comics, which was very interesting. Dinosaurs. Uh, yeah, I cast Mae Whitman. You know who Mae Whitman, Whitman. May Whitman is? She was, do you remember the, the show Parenthood? BB-8's glaring at me right now. Don't do that to me. May Whit- How do you spell her first name? Is it M-A-E? Yeah, uh, BBH just kind of looks slowly away from me. <laughs> oh, Mae Whitman. Oh, yeah. Her. Yeah. She plays uh, her on Arrested Development. I can't believe yes, you went with, her. with yeah, she's a like a huge voice actor, actually. She does a ton of voice acting stuff. She's yeah. April O'Neil on the Nickelodeon Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles show. Oh, that's right. I really so, like her a lot, actually. The, the obvious choice in Gertrude's on Gertrude would have been one of the, any number of uh, actors who have played gothy nerds with the glasses and everything else. But I felt like 
No, I think I think she's confidence a great choice. Now. I think I think that's an excellent choice, actually. Thanks, man. Thanks, Chris. I really yeah. appreciate the I validity of, of my that choice. Casting. She's twenty-eight, but no, I'm just kidding. Well, <laughs> right on par for eighteen or seventeen. Right? Yeah, she could totally play fifteen. Now, for for uh, for uh, old lace, I cast blue from Jurassic World. Wink, wink, wink. No, come on. I mean, how did you not see old lace when you were looking at obvious Jurassic choice? World? Come on, and man. They put, no, but they put they even like had like weird colorations and stuff on them. I was like, come on. <laughs> oh, you. Yeah. So anyway, there's my there's my Runaways casting. Nice. I that's like pretty, most of those. Yeah. Awesome. I actually so really got, like Mae Whitman for that role. I think that's a. I think that's excellent casting. Thanks, man. Yeah. I really appreciate that. So, are we going to do any more casting? Do you have any current possible challenges? You know, you we called this section when we went away to our commercial break dream casting. Yes. I can honestly say that the the choice that you've assigned me yes. is not something I'd have ever dreamed about casting per se. Son of a bitch. It's one of my favorites, man. But the fact that there's only four characters I had to cast yes. made it doable. <laughs> and I, that I didn't have I thought, to spend hours on the internet Googling teenage celebrities. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> part of the reason why I gave you this challenge was that it's a third-tier comic from Marvel. So it's sort of like you have you have less of an image in your mind already that you have to be holding, be beholden to, right? There's not as much pressure, yeah. Yeah, sure. So what was the subject matter that I challenged you with? You challenged us to cast Moon Knight. (laughs) Moon Knight. This is one of my favorite This is Marvel's Daredevil, if Marvel didn't already have Daredevil. (laughs) Yeah, we were talking about that earlier. (laughs) It's Marvel's Batman, except for where Daredevil is Marvel's Batman, but it's this one. Right. And he's all all white. But in fact, he was originally black and silver, but fuck that. He's white. Yeah, hold on. Ow. He's yes, multiple Moon kinds Knight. of white. You know, in, in thinking about the casting, again, thinking about the comics every time they relaunch it and I start reading it, I cannot help but admit that it's garbage. The characters are garbage. The context behind the character is garbage. And really all I care about is I want to see him just tearing shit butt. up. Yeah. Did you read the Finch run? I did. It was good, actually, I thought. Yeah, the writing was good. I, I don't really like Finch's art. Yeah, but it but but it was okay. Yeah, yeah, it was way too much. There's a million wrinkles and whatever, but you yeah, know, it's okay. And frankly, I was just pleased that someone gave. Anytime the creators give uh, earnest effort into making a dark and an intense and non spandexy Moon Knight, I'm I'm down. Yeah, and he you know he's got some some mental things going on. Some <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's crazy. He's as uh, as crazy as a loon. Did you did you read the Warren Ellis run from some years ago? Where recently, where he's in a suit, I read boots and everything. A little bit of it, but I didn't read the whole uh, run. Warren Ellis is so weird. It, years in, and he's just so com- he's just completely comfortable with ending a script with, "Well, I'm done." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, really. Like, it's like, wait, what? <laughs> he's like, "Good enough for me." Peace. Yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah. Anyway, so that okay, was kind so, of an interesting challenge to cast him because it was like, okay, we've got to find someone that can be athletic. And intimidating, but also nuts. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. But still carry the film as the main character. All right. So what did you do? Well, okay. So you you tasked me with casting Moon yes. Knight. Yes. 
his buddy Frenchie. Yes. His, oh, that's so terrible. <laughs> his his blonde lady friend Marlene. Yes. And uh, Bushman, which yes. was his main villain, but previous to that, he was his special forces captain, commander guy. Yes. So, I think we should just each trade off on the characters here so we can compare and contrast. I'm assuming you have this cast. You probably did it within three minutes of giving it to me, but... Ooh, ooh, me? (laughs) All right, let's start with Marlene. Okay. I went with all fairly younger characters in this. Okay. Um, Just because I picked who I wanted for Moon Knight and tried to find people that were age-appropriate for the most part. Sure. So for Marlene, I went with Elisha Cuthbert. That's uh, interesting. Okay. Because All honestly, right. I had no actual emotional attachment to her. I don't remember anything about her character except for the fact that she was blonde. Yeah, blonde, <laughs> blonde, aggravated female character. Yeah, yeah I feel like horrible. she was mostly just, oh, save me. I'm pretty sure Marlene was attacked by a cougar at some point. Too. I, I almost guarantee that. Interesting. Okay. Uh, so I cast Blake Lively. Oh, okay. That's a, that's uh, mostly, a slightly more yeah. personality, slightly less pretty. Well, well I don't know. I think Blake <laughs> Lively is. I can't. I mean, I'm not. You know, I'm sort of a brunette guy, I guess. But uh, and and sort of, I don't know, ethnically interesting, I guess, in my interest. But Blake Lively, something about her, she's like one of these uh, actors or actresses where they feel like they were drawn and then made flesh. Like uh, there's something about her that's really compelling visually to me you know honestly and, like uh, the yeah. only show i've ever seen her in was the shallows and she was excellent in that so i've seen her in nothing no i've seen her in five minutes or so of green lantern before i fell asleep she was in the town have you seen that no not yet i, I haven't either good. how have neither of us seen that movie because it's like artsy it's a, it's and a has, heist and movie has, isn't it i think it has murders in it isn't it like a rape. bank robber movie or something maybe rapes it's totally it like Affleck a bank heist movie, dude. How have neither of us seen that? It's Casey Affleck in it, so there's some rapes in there somewhere. <laughs> it's got John Hamm, too, man. All right, well, now, new homework. Got to see that because, you know. And then also, uh, I have not seen her in anything other than 10 minutes of Green Lantern before I fell asleep. But I've seen her in a ton of, like, Downloaded stuff. photos? Yes. <laughs> uh, web stuff and also lots of previews for The Shallows, which I – or the – Whatever it is, the shallow. The shallows is really good. She's which I hadn't decided whether I was going to actually watch because I get a little, I get a little heebie-jeebies about uh, undersea problems movies. But mm-hmm. you know, I everything I've seen, you know, like I've seen so much like uh, production stuff on that movie. Like the, I think I posted the robot dash kraken mm-hmm. about like the the visual effects of how they built the shark. <laughs> you know, yeah. There's a couple of of, of yeah. crappy CG parts in it, but for, we talked about it on Deeply Dapper. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I I think she's a great actress. But I have the same thing with you, where I'm like I'm more logically drawn towards uh, darker haired women, and so like yeah. when I'm like oh blondely, I'm gonna have a really hard time with this. And so like for a long time, I was going through my my selections in my head, and I'm like no brunette, 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 yeah. brunette, brunette. And, and so no, <laughs> yeah, and we could certainly do that in our fantasy casting. But what the reason I chose her was I started thinking about when the character was more interesting mm-hmm. of all the times she was not of when she was more interesting she was active she was very active she wasn't mm-hmm. sitting around waiting for 
for Bushman to attack her or whatever, or someone else or whatever. She was running around. She was in, she was trying to get away from <laughs> Mark Spector. She's I don't know. She was just more involved. Sorry, I can't, it's, I, every time I re-look down at my list and the characters we're naming are Moon Knight, Bushman, and Frenchie, I start <laughs> laughing. I apologize. <laughs> the best part is it's like, you know, there's like 3% of the Marvel bullpen had been outside of the United States. Right. And like every, everything in this character doesn't make sense if you're totally <laughs> like, you know, like isolated American, you wouldn't understand anything about this. Right. It's all, it's, it's like kludging from so many concepts that are not American. Right. <laughs> right. Anyway, anyway, except for her, which she's like a Hollywood starlet type. Right. I mean, she's like designed to be the Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. Of the characters. Right. Anyway. So I like the idea because of shallows actually that I started thinking about, a more active, like lively, and I thought, oh, okay, there you go. No, that's a good cast. I, I, I will put my vote towards Marlene. your Marlene. Okay, I, I mean, think we like should vote at all. <laughs> In fact, I don't like most of the Moon Knight characters. To be honest, I don't either. I, so I realized as I was doing the casting, I was like, I don't care about any of these people. Yeah, I was having a really hard time with this, where I'm like, ugh, you know, the the only ones that I can genuinely remember reading are the Finch runs. Or, oh yes, and like nobody's likable in that. It's a <laughs> it's an interesting story, but there's nobody that's like actually appealing in that storyline. That's interesting. You're right. I, I think you're right. Um, uh, when I think about character arcs, though, I uh, they you know some really incredible char- uh, creators were on Moon Knight, which is odd mm-hmm. when when you think about how little you know. How 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 poorly it's been considered in the in the, or like how how B or C rated it is. In well, the... and I think part of it is that uh, mental illness is yes. hard to handle with anything but a light hand, or it comes off as terrible. And you can't yeah. do a comic book about somebody in a suit and a cape, yeah, with a light hand very easily. No, I think you're right. <laughs> and then also, I mean, our public consciousness as 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 culture don't understand schizophrenia. Right. So when they try to ha- to ham fistedly make a character have multiple personalities and they're basically just different costumes they're wearing. Right. Um, I did like the fact over the course of those various Moon Knight, because I have all of the Moon Knights that were ever made, I think probably <laughs> except some of volume one, but you know, they generally have made it that, um, no, I have number one, maybe, maybe. Mm. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, the, yeah, I do have number one. So I like that the characters have always been like, you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Something's wrong with you. But I mean, think about it. You know, it's it's on the on the fringes of what I was familiar with as a, as a young reader and certainly beyond what you were being younger than me. But uh, it's hard to think of Moon Knight without Bill Sienkiewicz. I mean, right. Bill Sienkiewicz and Kevin Nolan basically cut their – Kevin Nolan cut their teeth on the original volume of Moon Knight. Right. Right. And granted, he, when he first came in Spider-Man or whatever it was, he was just the sort of generic sort of bad guy. But their first series mm-hmm. was very interesting as far as comics go. It was very pro- a very product of the 70s. See, my problem right. there is that – like that's why I've never read any of the earlier Moon Knight stuff is that when I got into comics was like the Jim Lee era. And so yes. that style of art that was so much more like sophisticated but different, it wasn't something that I was interested in. 
until after the point that those were within the realm of me being able to pick up in a reasonable price point. I totally get that. And, you know, the other thing is, I mean, there's been a lot of among the nerds that care about Moon Knight, which is a very small right. <laughs> subset of 17. Marvel comic people. Right. You know, he's always been intended to be silver or black and silver. Right. right. And it was the four color comics that made him white. Right. right. But he was always vi- he's described in the narrative as being silver and black. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I took it at face value, I loved the idea that he was all white that he was this because it can be as vague it can be as murky and confusing and scary as a as a sort of billowing mass of white in the dark high contrast is just as it could be even worse than the dark guy coming out of the shadows right right and there's something about like i want you know how they retconned batman's bat symbol as being i want to i want to give him something to point to or i want him to see me coming and all Mm -hmm. that stuff to me the idea that this guy would just show up and be like bright white and just be like always moonlit by a full full moon right. and just be like glowing and just beat the shit out of you. I <laughs> loved that. And so for me as a kid, I was just obsessed with I think possibly that version, that interpretation of Moon Knight is what got me on the kick for monochrome design. Mm-hmm. Right. And so uh, when they when uh, when when they recently when Warren Ellis and McNiven did Nemesis, mm-hmm. remember Nemesis? They did the anti-Batman. Batman is a villain. I, dude, I haven't read DC Comics in ever, no, it's, really. I think it's an, it's an independent. It's like some sort of, I don't know what it is, like an independent comic. But, oh, and, okay. and it's been, uh, it's, uh, actually, I think about it. It's not Ellis. It's Mark Millar. Mark Millar. It's one of those comics he wrote to make a movie out of it, right? And it is mm-hmm. optioned. And, and it is, if you look up Nemesis right now, on Mark Millar, Nemesis, you'll see it. His basic premise is, what if, what horrible reality would it be if Bat- Bruce Wayne became a villain okay. and that's what it is it's Batman as a bad guy and he's dressed in all white with a cape and everything and he's taunting a cop like a small town cop and just killing people and making them miserable because he's challenging himself to go around the world and find the top cops and destroy them okay. that's his deal so he's an anti he's a he's total villain and and what he did was he just put him in all white he's cape and everything He's Moon Knight. He's Moon Knight as a bad guy. I love it. To Weird. Death. So anyway, given that Moon Knight is Marvel's other answer to Batman, the Daredevil. So and I, to be frankly, I, I to be frank, I love the the Bendis era uh, Moon Knight with Alex Maleev because mm-hmm. you get. Did you see any of those? Did you read no, those? I didn't even know those existed. But I would read this, those because I love that era of Daredevil. Yeah, there's about 12 issues or so, and you get about six or seven – I'll spoil this for you. There's about six or seven issues where – because Moon Knight was in the Secret Avengers for a while, and then he was in the Avengers a little bit on the fringe. And as you recall, he might have – I think he might have even been a West Coast Avengers or something before that. But Could anyway, be. in the in the semi-modern era, he's in the Avengers, and it's irrational because he's crazy. So in Alex Maleev and Brian Michael Bendis' series, his deal is – you see him like running around in the streets of L.A. He's going down after some like big like underworld mob boss guy. And he's got Wolverine with him and whoever. <laughs> he's got various superheroes with him and they're talking about it and they're going after people and they're talking to each other and he's attacking whatever. And after a first few episodes, you realize the first, uh, issues, you realize that he's by himself. Oh, that's pretty sweet. They're all his, his brain, right? And that was such a great take on his insanity that he thought the Avengers were with him the entire time, and it made you question whether he ever was on the Avengers. Yeah, that's right? interesting. I like that. And you can imagine it in Malieve's 
style. Yeah. Yeah. Did totally. a great job. All right. So anyway, so okay. that's, that's, uh, that's our man. So, so you did Marlene. Yeah. So let's, so. let's, let's move on to Jean-Paul Decamp, oh, AKA Jesus. Frenchie. Frenchie. Now I, I want to hear your <laughs> pick first this time. <laughs> okay. Well, it's not going to be the same as yours. <laughs> so in the comics, Frenchie is his, his Alfred. He is. Cause this is straight up Batman, right? It's his, Butler slash tech slash backup guy and slash with one difference chauffeur. Hmm? Yeah, but with one difference being that he's much more like the Batman v Superman Alfred than any other Alfred that's ever been. Yeah. In the sense that Alfred is piloting shit, he's shooting up bad guys, he's totally in. Right. Thick of it. And then in more recent versions of Moon Knight, they they wrote him in as as, you know, as as being a victim and everything else, but 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 for the majority of the work, he is like an active participant in the vigilanteism. Right. So I said, okay, Frenchie's really offensive. <laughs> <laughs> He's a tall blonde guy with a mustache. It's like it's what the guy, what's Americans in in the Midwest in 1980s thought French people were. Right. right? I don't even think there were many French people who looked like that after right. 1965. Right. <laughs> So I went a different direction. I love accents, but I also like ethnicity. Mm-hmm. And so I said, "How this is a great opportunity to play with what it is to be French. So I chose I chose uh, an actor from Martinique. Um, I think from Martinique or the West Indies. And his name is Omar Sy. Hmm. So if you think back on Jurassic World, remember mm-hmm. that movie? Yeah. Do you remember the raptor trainer? Who was training? Who was working with the with the Raptors? And then, when uh, D'Onofrio's character came down, I was like, "Hey, you're doing a great job!" And he's the one who's like tending to them, dark skin, tending to the tending to the Raptors. And he's like, "You know, they're not pets, whatever. They're like dangerous creatures." And right. D'Onofrio's like, "Whatever. I think I can use them." He's so look up Omar's side really quick. Everybody. I did. I just I, I looked him up as you were saying that, and yeah, yeah. you you did not choose yeah. his anyway, most so iconic role imagine, for think, our show, uh, dude. He played Bishop in X Men. What's that? He played Bishop in Days of Future Past. What's that? Oh, that's right. But I don't. I hate that about him because <laughs> Bishop was like everything. Bishop is everything wrong with the X Men, and they even gave him the mullet and everything. I just I I choose not to pull. To accept that that ever existed, but you're right, he was Bishop. <laughs> you're like, you remember this guy in this side bit role of in this cast of seventy four people? He had a total of seven lines in this movie with dinosaurs. <laughs> Do you remember him? <laughs> he was most. He was more. Oh, dang! Hold on. Son of a bitch. He was more the way I envisioned Frenchie to be. And he was actually in born in France, by the way. Yes, he was. I know, but he's from. <laughs> But his his lineage is different. So my point oh. is, I picture Frenchie as being a black French, basically. Okay. Right? As someone who is from the colonies, and it's a completely different flavor than what you see in the comics. I okay. think that would be it. No, I think that's interesting. Amusingly, I went the complete opposite direction that you did. Please tell me. Please, please <laughs> tell me you, you chose Maurice Chevalier. <laughs> no, I, you know, I figure... <laughs> Okay, so Frenchie. I looked at who he was, what he did in the comics, that kind of thing. How he how he is with Moon Knight, and I was like, you know what? I want to I want to pick a character. 
based off of my choice of Moon Knight, that I think would be really interesting to interact with him and kind of ignore the background of Frenchie so much as, like, this character named Frenchie, which I think would find find it amusing, at least. Dude, you chose Blake Lively, didn't you? Seth Green, actually. Seth Green? (laughs) (laughs) I could totally see that. I could totally see it, man. That's a real challenge, man. That's really good. I can totally see him up there, like, you know, just irreverent. Wouldn't it be? Yeah, I mean, I, I like the idea of a kind of a short, pale, spitfire Alfred kind of thing. Yeah, young and like completely indifferent in that weird desensitized young way. Well, and can you picture Seth Green reacting to the madness of Moon Knight and his insanity and everything? Specifically, if he was like, you know, I accept all of this because you're paying me, right? Like, I don't even, I don't even care that you're nuts. Like in that way, that's sort of like, well, okay, like I've been given a part time job taking care of an invalid, sort of right? Very, very sarcastic about it. I can imagine that. Yeah. So when I was looking him up, did you know he's 42 now? That's nonsense. Isn't that? He looks like he's in his like early 30s still. It's I guess when you think of, and when you think about uh, his, if you if you if you if you carbon date him based on his co-stars, I guess that starts to make sense. But it does. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. What did he do before? Buffy. So I know. He, yeah, he was in Buffy. What was before that? I don't know if there was anything before Buffy. He was like 12 in Buffy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let me see. Well, no, that's not true because he was like a kid, kid actor for a really long time, though. Let me see. He's been in 700,000 things. Um, sure. Let's see here. His first role that we would know anything about was Tales from the Dark Side. He was in one episode. Tales from the Dark Side. He was in an episode of Amazing Stories. Of course he was. Who wasn't? Oh, and then he was the son and my stepmother is an alien. Mm, did not see that. Um, and then he was in some TV stuff. He played Richie Tozier in the It miniseries yep. with, with Tim Curry. Right, right. right. Um, and then he was in a couple episodes of Wonder Years. And then he actually played really? a vampire in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie. Amusingly. Really? Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah. And then he was in that episode of X-Files. Yeah, I remember that. And that was all before Buffy. That's a good choice, man. I like that. I like that a lot. I thought it was kind of fun. I think we both veered away from the stereotype, and I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. So next like I feel like if it was him as Frenchie, he would be, like, born born in France, raised in the U.S., not at all remotely French. But constantly be called Frenchie. Yeah, this pale red-headed real guy. Yeah, and he's really hates any and like he's an anti-Francophile. Right, like that's he's how super it happened. Pissed off that everybody calls him Frenchie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like that. And in a way, my Omar Sy casting is not. I mean, it's not beyond the fact that it doesn't fit the visual of what many people, right. many Americans anyway, think of with French. But also it, with the general xenophobia in France. The, the colonies, as well as any Muslim countries that have had, Im, you know, people who have tried to immigrate into France over the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of negative association with anybody who doesn't look like Frenchie from the comics. Right. <laughs> so anyway. OK, so uh, what do you want to do next? Let's Bushman do the normal. Yeah, Bushman. Who do you, Bushman. you pick? Raul Bushman. Yes. I had a hard time with this one because my initial choice for it was an actor from The Shield. 
Interesting. And after I chose him, I remembered that he... I chose him because I thought he had a, a certain amount of interesting menace, even though he plays yes. one of the better cops in it. And then I remembered uh-huh. he's currently in jail for killing his wife in real life. Oh, <laughs> so, I know what you're talking about. So, uh, I think I know what you're talking about. So I, I chose Michael Jace initially for that role. Is that who's in jail? Yeah. And wait, he wait, wait. played Julian on The Shield. Michael. Michael what? Michael Jace. J A C E. And I've changed oh, my choice since then. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. That is so weird. Okay. That's a great choice though. He he would have he would have been a good one for it, but I cuz he's super tall and he's he's good at playing the nice guy but also kind of having a little bit of hidden violence, which Sure. Apparently he got life in prison, so he's got some in there. <laughs> so after I remembered that aspect of it, I decided to change my casting to Eugene Clark, who has Who's not been Clark? in much. Um, he's mostly known as Big Daddy from the Land of the Dead movie, which is a uh, um, one of the George Romero zombie movies. Okay. And he's he's a little old, so we'd have to go with a younger version of him. I think he's like in his sixties now, um, but he has. I mean, he basically looks just like the pictures of Bushman. Give, give me the name again. Uh, Eugene Clark. Right, Eugene. I'm not that I'm looking this up on Imdb. No, we're not summoning the Imdb at all. But particularly, like, the first picture that comes up on there, if you look in the photos on Imdaba, oh, yeah, I know is him from uh, Land of the Dead. And he just, he even has the, the 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 Finch cross-hatching going on there. <laughs> <laughs> well, he just certainly has some furious eyebrows, I'll give him that. Yeah. That's funny. That is pretty damn funny, man. I like that. That's good. So nice. who, did you, who did you cast? Well, when you said that about the murdering his wife thing, I immediately thought you were talking about McKelty Williamson, who was in. Do you know who that is? No, I don't. He was in. Uh, he was in Heat, the best movie that's ever been made ever in the history of movies. <laughs> He's the one who talks to uh, Val Kilmer's character about coming in. You know, that's your choice. Oh, oh right? yeah, 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 right. So at some point in the late '90s or the early aughts, he was found running around, like running around L.A. freeway wielding a machete. He was arrested, like in his underwear. Okay, I could be entirely wrong, but I'm not. Okay, (laughs) so anyway, check that out later. Uh, So that's what I thought you were saying, and I thought that was interesting. That's funny. That would have been a bad choice. Um, But I chose not that interesting, but I think it's the perfect casting ever. Adewale Akinui Agbaje. Echo, huh? Echo, Mr. Uh... Echo. Think about. Six five or so, yeah, and that the dark menace in his face, the bright eyes, the weird toothy smile, but like really un just just really aggressive. Yeah, he does, he's actually played a lot of more quieter characters, but I see him as Bushman, where he's been like he's he's got the paint permanently on his face, mm-hmm. and he's got his head because. In the modern, in the more modern versions of Bushman, his his head, his face has been torn off. Right. In the, and it came from the finale, of one of the earlier volumes of Moon Knight, where he met his doom in a certain way, <laughs> and then they brought him back as a ghost, as a as a potentially ghost 
uh, adversary to Moon Knight in his insanity, as you know, as a guy who's basically, right. t- and I picture him in his real dark, hulking mass of a guy, just that those eyes. This, it's just the eyes, because I think if you took that actor and you tore his face off and you left his eyes, you would still recognize. Him. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, actually, he was on my short list for that role. And I discounted him because he was in a... I, I was trying really hard to choose characters that I then threw out the window once I decided on my Moon Knight anyway that hadn't been in any comic book movies previously. Fair enough. Yeah, I got it. Um, but I think I think he'd be a great choice for that, particularly, like you said, for the more modern one where the face has been torn off and you can still see those eyes. Because he yeah. did... Yeah, that's a great choice. I dig that. It's very easy, and I'm sure he's played this role before, and I just can't think of it. Actually, frankly, his Echo backstory had it. It is, yeah. He does play the role of a, of a, of a, of an African militant. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So anyway, so there you go. Nice. So okay, here it is, Mark Spector. We're to the big Please. guns. No Lockley, just Mark Spector. Who did you choose? So I, I, I went a little younger with my casting. That's why I did Elisha Cuthbert and Seth Green. Yeah. Because I decided I really wanted to see Joseph Gordon-Levitt yeah, play okay. Moon Knight. Well, he's a guy that I would take in any role, so <laughs> right. that's why. Well, and I think he I could play the, the crazy and the athletic part really well. I like it. That's a really good choice, actually. <laughs> that's interesting. Well, and, you know, he got re- he got robbed of his Batman. Right, right. So, right? so why not play yeah. the, the discount Batman? <laughs> You know, I'm I'm with you. I went the same way. It was looking for someone who could could play unhinged without losing the charisma, and not in the you know sort of uh, Mel Gibson lethal weapon. I'm crazy. Ah, I got a I put a tear I put a tear capsule in my hand and look how crazy I am. (laughs) But like feeling like you you're drawn to him even though you know he's bad news. Right? There's something terribly wrong with him. You've got to have that charisma still. Okay, I like that one a lot. I thought you were going to say Tim Curry, but that's that's good. That's a good second choice. Like contemporary Tim Curry in the wheelchair. Tim Curry right? and Seth Green. <laughs> I but I want him to be completely post-stroke, just like that. Right. All right. Not bad. Spit so it out, me, Gringo. Mark Spector. We've talked about before how this guy has not had a superhero role and needs one. Okay, and I started thinking about desperation. I thought started thinking about uh, someone who is physical and could in charismatic and feel like they could carry a film, but could also convince you that they didn't, they weren't a hundred percent sure that they were sane. Okay, and that they had some pain, but they were pushing through, and they'd be kind of in denial about it, and just, just, you know, just mm-hmm. sort of talk. I was kept imagining talking themselves into giving in. Or talking themselves out of getting into the urge, because there's a there's a theme in some of the more modern versions of Moon Knight where he's like trying to tell himself he's trying to convince himself he's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's not real. This is crazy. I need my meds. And then Conchu's like hanging out in the suit with the bird skull, mm-hmm. going like, "No, no, no, <laughs> you're not crazy. You may be crazy, but I'm real, and you're my you're my agent, right?" So I like the idea of a, of an actor that could could convince you that they're like it's almost like Bruce Banner not wanting to be Hulk, right? Like saying, "No, no, it's not real. It's not real. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it." Oh, fuck, I'm gonna do I it. think I know who you're right? going to say. 
the baby goose. Jason Schwartzman. Oh. Damn <laughs> <laughs> close. That was my second choice. Right Ryan on. Gosling, man. Ryan I Gosling. can see imagine the Gosling. That. Yeah. Imagine, imagine him with the white suit, uh, dirty, blood stain on the collar. Mm-hmm. The hood is down. Da- the hood is down and kind of pooled around his neck, and he's got like eye ba- like sunken eye bags. You know, questioning his own reality, uh, and yeah, like a like a maybe like a like a puffed like a broken lip from good guy like nice guys or whatever. Like right. he's been beat the. Sh- just imagine, look at, imagine him like in his apartment, going like, "I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. It's not real. It's not real. It's not real." And then he opens his eyes, and then there's Conchu, bird skull, and and suit going like, "Are you done? Right? Because you got work to do." So, <laughs> I dig it. Yeah. All right then. There right on. Look at us. Right. We, we did a whole casting, and we only talked for like two hours about the four people we cast. <laughs> Why aren't they paying us to do this? Because that movie would be amazing. They'd be like, we can't afford the 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 time spent in the conference call for the lawyers, guys. You're not hired can't anymore. Afford, <laughs> you can't afford Tim Curry as Conchu. <laughs> yes. Ooh, I would I would do that. I'd be okay with him being the voice of Conchu. <laughs> All right. Well, let's take a little break and then uh, and then and let's see what's going to happen after that break. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have a plan. I have a plan. Cease your yammering and relieve us from this arson confinement. So, dude. Yes. There's a show that I've been telling you to watch. I've been telling you for days on end to watch the show, having only recently watched it myself. Did you watch it? (laughs) I made it through the first episode in like uh, 20 minutes of the second episode. All right. So skipping to the end, did you love it? I loved the first episode. The second episode so far has not been as strong as the first episode. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> but wouldn't you say that just even seeing the first episode that it's not unlike it's unlike anything you would expect from the sci-fi channel? Yeah, I was surprised absolutely, both quality-wise and content-wise. All right, so we're talking about uh, the Expanse. The Expanse, yes. Now, as a uh, as a as a lover of hard sci-fi and CG Cherry's work in particular, I'm astounded that I got this far without seeing um, Expanse. And it part of it is because it was on the Sci-Fi Channel, right? And frankly, I was just you know I was just convinced that anything on the Sci-Fi Channel was going to be garbage. Like why they wouldn't fund anything of any, they wouldn't fund anything, right? Yeah, they've. They, I mean, they've really at this point now. It's been years since I've heard anything positive about most of the stuff. Right, and yet, uh, and I and I remember thinking when it came out, like, well, it's it looks like it's like a space opera style, kind of a gritty space opera show. That sounds great, except I don't recognize anybody in the promo, promo material, and it looks really sort of the same color. And it just had that sort of uh, expanded cable vibe to it. And right. I remember thinking, well, there's no way that's going to be good. And boy, was I wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so just so Sci-Fi put it on Amazon. And if you have a Prime membership, you can watch it for free. At this point, I'm five episodes in. And I think you're what? One episode? One and a half episodes Yeah, about in? one and a half. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you read a lot of hard sci-fi when you know, growing up? I did or not, you that- actually. 
interesting. I was always more the fantasy and detective novels growing up. Well, I can tell you that uh, this show is truer. It's truer to my mental image of the best of that sort of material than I've ever seen filmed. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's not, it's certainly not perfect by any means, but I just, I watch it and I cannot, like, I can't as a, as a viewer, I can't get out of my head that did, did they make it for me? (laughs) Is someone else out there want this? Because I feel like they just made it for me. I can understand that. Uh, watching it, actually, after you telling me I needed to watch it, um, I... I gave you homework. <laughs> it definitely has a Tom vibe to it. And not just because of the hard sci-fi aspect of it, but also the the, the, the touch of Blade Runner noir kick. Yep. It's very dark. It, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've... I've only yeah, seen those the, places you don't think it's going to go, and it doesn't. Right, <laughs> right, and particularly the the Tom Jane storyline that I've seen so far, which is what I was le- I was least optimistic about. Right, Hollywood has not been able to do cyberpunk, urban cyberpunk ever. Right, other than Blade, Run- other than Blade Runner. Right, I mean, you know, modern versions of uh, of urban cyberpunk is always they have always looked dated and wrong. Right, mm. just like you know, trying really hard. And, you know, artificially aggravated style that doesn't make any sense. Right. Let let me give you a a moment of backstory on that. Uh, The cyberpunk role-playing game, which we talked about earlier, I ran that for for several years as campaigns. And then later on when I was an adult, I brought on – I've talked about this before, I think. But I brought on some adult players and I started a modern cyberpunk campaign. And it was all people who had no role-playing experience. Okay engineers and architects and a scientist and they were all people who you know they read science fiction they liked the idea of it but they didn't have any role-playing experience and basically i set them up in my house rules for a cyberpunk world that were very sort of near future stuff but then as we went so the first campaign was like a heist sort of a heist scenario and then after that we transitioned over to an orbital campaign and it was all you know, obviously in space stations. And so it was based largely on the imagery of William Gibson's work and uh, Walter John Williams and a few other uh, writers and, and uh, Bruce Sterling. And it was the idea of cultures in in orbit, in orbitals, not on other planets, mm-hmm. that have grown divorced from Earth culture. Okay. Where the, the concept of a Terran is a negative thing. Mud, mudsiders, right? Like that's a negative thing. Right, and these are these are whole generations that have been born in a space station. They're living in a space station. They exist. Their whole economy is really wrapped around supporting the 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 laborers who bring the supply in off the ships and release the ships and bring the ships in. Mm-hmm. All the other stuff is basically just constructs to keep them happy. Right, right. <laughs> right? So you don't need the casino and then the guy over here and then the restaurants and this because. There's not like there's no reason for the city to exist in the space station other than to support the people who are having to be there. Right. For the reason the space station exists. Okay. So we had many camp, many 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 games set in this sort of orbital campaign. When we when I started watching Expanse, I was just blown over at how well they did it. <laughs> just blown over. So yeah, anyways, it's it's impressive. Like like just not just. 
the world building that they've done in it, but the way they've executed it and like the way they portray like the the the, the low gravity lifestyle and I mean great actors in it. I I only know like maybe two or three of them, but they're all really great. Yeah. I did, I was never a Thomas Jane fan ever ever. Like Punisher, didn't care none of that stuff. And here's a role where he does not make himself. He's not a handsome man in this role, right? right. But uh, the and the subtle costuming. I love the shaved head, and then he's got the the sort of the the flop of hair, and then he he has this weird affectation of the of the fedora, which yeah. initially initially I hated. I hated it, <laughs> and I remember that in promo material, and I was like, outrage! It's it's done. Yeah, Cyberpunk fail. But his character, as you as you start to see him grow. You know, he's got a strange affectation for wanting something that's more grounded than the life he he was born on that space station. Right. So he's like a, he's like I was when I was in once once I became when I entered the working world out of college when my wife met me I was I was the jackass wearing like suspenders <laughs> because I was obsessed with the styles of earlier cultures as my personal style. That's what he's doing. Right. He's developing. He's he's basically co opting roots that are not his own. Right. I love that. Love it now at the time. And I love the, the shit he gets for the hat, right? It keeps the <laughs> it keeps the rain off my head, right? <laughs> In an orbital, right? Yeah. So, yeah, no, I it man, it has blown me away how much I've enjoyed that. Yeah, show, I'm so. excited about getting into it because like the first episode they they space out the the different storylines that are going on really well. Yeah, they they show some relationships in really short amount of time that feel re- legitimate and accurate, and you, I, I'm impressed, man. Like, like the second episode feels a little too padded out, or maybe it's yeah. not uh, organized as well in terms of the editing. But it's definitely enough that I'm like the only reason I didn't finish it is because I had to go finish uh, an order that needs to be. <laughs> to be sent out it had nothing to do with me being like mm, done i'm well, like there's, oh, there's I want to go finish. <laughs> the, the closest i think the closest tether to this is Bastard galactica right i mean yeah oh yeah the, absolutely it was the, that's the benchmark for like well done tv sci-fi and Bastard's second episode was the one that said holy shit this is a real show yeah because the whole miniseries that started Battlestar was okay <laughs> it was good it was so good it was okay and then it's you know the show started and you're like you're, you accept it and it's fine, and then it was the second episode of 22 minutes right. It was that whole that that narrative mechanism of rebooting constantly them them being so tired that they could barely deal because right. they're constantly jumping and they can't even get rest. That was such a I mean they got awards for that episode. Yeah, it was a, it was a thing that put them on the map. It was what put them on the map mm-hmm. right. Yeah, and this one was, you know, the, the, the pilot was the one that impressed me, and the second episode was treading water a little bit. Yeah, yeah, you're right, yeah. You're right about that. Um, I love, though, it, do, remind me now, do, have you read C.J. Cherry's stuff? No, I've not. I've, I have never been able to get into the 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 hard sci-fi, or the, honestly, like, the hard fantasy for the most part. Like, I, I like my stuff to be an escape. Uh, yeah. And yeah, like I don't mind stuff that challenges me per se, but I typically read stuff that I'm like, oh, fun to read. Yeah, I get you. As a world building guy, as a, you know, as someone who <laughs> spends a lot of energy trying to weave a story around 
you know, a world that I've created, a universe I've created that has a lot of interconnecting characters and stuff. Right. I love CJ Cherry stuff. Again, I mentioned I've before, heard really she, good things about it. Yeah, she's a she has a psychology background or psychiatry background, and she, so she's very obsessed with the way people, way characters think. And some of her best work is is in the context of characters that are put in a position where they're dealing with people who or creatures that don't think like them. Mm-hmm. So she, some a couple of her series are about humans trying to deal with alien species who don't think like humans. They don't have brains like humans, and they have to adapt to that. Right? Very very challenging stuff. But her earlier stuff is set in a universe where the there was a mining colony established at a great distance in some they call she called it Cytine, which turned me off for years i wouldn't read it because i thought Cytine that sounds terrible <laughs> right sounds, sounds wb before wb existed right and then it turns out to be great <laughs> and it's a world where they you know they, they colonize this world for mining purposes and then they because they didn't have anybody to do it with they started cloning themselves so <laughs> they became a culture of clones which pretty soon didn't know who was the source and so then they had this identity crisis in terms of sentience like well do I do I matter if I'm a clone of another clone of another clone, right? But in her in her thing, it's the Terran system in her world. In her stories, it's the whole solar system. It's like the company, right? It's okay. post national. It's post national. It's all corporate. It's mining, and then you have Cytine way out in the fringe somewhere. And all these jump ships had been going back and forth for mining resources. And then whenever she wanted – it was a great system because every, she wanted to write a fantasy novel. She would just have uh, col- colony seeds that would land on different planets and fail, right? Okay. So then they would lose. So she wants to do a – you know, she wants to do a, a you know, a – a John Connor style thing where people run around with giant lizards or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a ship that colonized and then the ship crashed and then they couldn't reboot it. And then two gender, three generations later, they don't know how to pilot the ship and five generations later, they don't remember the ship. <laughs> so then she could do a fantasy story, right? So she could do all these different spin-off stories within the context of this universe. But essentially it's the home system versus the minor system in the remote location that goes independent. And then they have a battle about it. And she was very specific in her books about having a merchant, oh, like a marine, like a marines, mm-hmm. based on the home system, that were running around, fighting the fight, and then when the fight ended or they ran out of resources, they became pirates because it's like, well, they don't know any other life because the generations of them doing it. So pretty soon they're landing at space stations and saying, like, they just show up and they're like, "Give me all your shit, we're protecting you, right?" And it becomes this sort of enforcer thing. Okay. Right. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And because they don't have any more supply from the home world anymore, it's, it's gone. And so now they're basically just mooching off of the, the systems that they're supposedly protecting. And in her books, they went quite a ways where they're, they weren't doing anything. It, they're written around the perspective of the people on the space stations like, oh, crap, the Marines have shown up. OK, shown up, or whatever it is. And don't piss them off because they'll vent the station. Right. <laughs> Like military run amok. It was very interesting. And so that aspect of this in Expanse really interests me because you see a lot of parallels in the story from what she wrote. Um, and I know this Expanse is written off. It's based off of a series of books that I haven't read. And, and I assume there's a lot of similarities across different hard SF book series. But okay, I'm loving it. I'm loving that there's so much unknown. I love that the series starts with miners out in deep space having an accident because CG Cherry's best work 
is miners in deep space having accidents. Right? <laughs> right. That's, that's like the best she's ever done is that. So <laughs> I, I love that. And I love that there's there's real stakes. There's real stakes to these characters. It's not a fluff show at all. So anyway, so I'm super into it. <laughs> really? No. <laughs> <laughs> I broke my rule and I went rogue. Sorry. <laughs> so you're going to you're going to continue watching them, right? Oh yeah, def- definitely. Yeah, Thomas Thomas Jane though. I mean, I love he, him. I I have really? to admit, like like I have liked him in pretty much everything I've seen him in. Really? Yeah. What's the standout? The Mist. He's excellent in it. Really? Yeah, very good in it. The Mist. Yeah, the Stephen King story. Oh, I know, but I you, you, that was your example. <laughs> the Mist. Have really? you seen it? No, it's a good. It's very good. Yeah. All right, I'll put it on my list right now. You have to watch the black and white version. It's better. Mm. So they <laughs> released it in both. Uh, yes, yeah, the director's cuts in black and white. Huh. I only knew. I think he only came in my in my uh, sort of in my awareness. It was only his Punisher stuff that I really became aware of him. Well, and I haven't seen him in a ton of stuff. He's in a lot of stuff, and I haven't seen him in a lot of it. Like, like he was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie, amusingly. Yes, he was. Um, (laughs) But what what did I see him in? That like he was in Magnolia and Deep Blue Sea, but I don't remember him in those. He was excellent in Stander. Hmm. Um, That's I'm actually surprised you haven't seen Stander. Stander. Yeah, it's um, it's about a South African police officer who becomes a bank robber and plans a heist. Huh? Yeah, yeah, dude. Like, it's right. right up your alley. It takes place in the seventies. What? Uh, it stars him. Oh, Stander. Yeah, it's just called Stander. It's really good. And I mean, most of the other guys are like South Africans, so it's people you haven't heard of before. But he's really good in oh, it. Oh, Captain Andre Stander. Yeah, I yeah, it's based I... off of a real story, a uh, true story. Ah, okay. Right. Oh, and I I'll loved him it. in Arrested Development too. Sure. Okay, that, I'll give you that. And so, um, yeah, go on. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just I, everything I've seen him in, I've liked him. Give him Hell Malone. I don't know when he was he was in that at some point here. I liked it. I think he, I think he underwhelmed me when he did uh, whatever that HBO or something series Baker. I don't remember what it was called, but he was playing hung. a guy who had a really large. Yeah, hung, hung. I was like, we're done. <laughs> like, yeah, I haven't. Like, I didn't watch any of that, so I don't know how it was or anything. It was on for a really long time, though. So in the pilot, in the pilot episode of Expanse, you saw a number of the major players. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the guys, so you know how there's like this, the, the members of the crew that he's, so there's Steven Straits playing the main guy that's, I've never seen him before, but he's like the, the, the XO, the, main protag- the XO, yeah. the act, no acting XO. Oh yes. <laughs> that whole thing. And, uh, he's got a couple of people that he's running with, including a guy named, uh, Wes Chatham. His character is Amos mm-hmm. Bur- Burton. He looks like a guy that I've seen before, but I don't think I've ever seen him. Have you seen him before? Uh, not that I'm he's, aware of. He, but you know what I'm talking about, right? He's yeah. the one who's like slavishly devoted to uh, Dominique Tipper's character for no reason. But yeah, he's got kind of like a thick neck and kind of a weirdly straight, uh, squared off yeah. face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a Hunger James guy. 
And then uh, Cass Envar is playing the pilot, Alex Kemmel. I really like him. Yeah. And then, uh, so, but to me, the standout as far as casting goes is uh, Shore Agdashlu. Shore Agdashlu. So she's the undersecretary on the Earth side. Oh, see, I didn't really care for her that much. She has a very thick accent. She came, I think she came to uh, prominence in 24. She was playing the mother in a sleeper cell in one of the seasons of that. Oh, okay, see, and the, I think the only thing I've seen her in is X-Men 3. Huh? What was yeah, she in that? I don't know, like a some sort of politician. Yeah, of course. Basically the same well, thing she is in this. Yeah. From I, what I've I, seen. I mean, she isn't in, like, the first two episodes a ton. Yeah. There's just yeah. that one, like, like one interview scene with her and the, the guy from space. But so what I liked about that was that she's so she's kind of reasonably pleasant and she has all this artifice. So this this eth, this sort of ethnic cultural artifice that she's holding on to. Mm-hmm. And yet then she goes in there and she's completely hard. See, I thought she was hard. interesting, but like I, I, I don't know. To me, Dominique Tipper is the standout oh, so yes. far. Naomi, she's, she's amazing in it. You know, as a side note, in all of our uh, cyberpunk campaigns, when we were doing it on uh, urban side, right? Mm-hmm. So on Earth, one of the things I did early, early on, this is back when I wrote the the book that was a sort of a cyberpunk book. Mm-hmm. And then I did a lot of character art and character building of this is I decided I wanted I wanted some affectations, some old school affectations that they would take just to the way that we always see that. Right. We take. Culturally, we go back to the past and we take something from the past and then we bring it forward and we screw with it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so in all of my cyberpunk stuff, everybody pulled this sort of dapper thing. They had pompadours like the the executive class okay. had pom- had pompadours and these really sharp suits or whatever. But they're dickheads. So when she shows up and she's got the, the pompadour. Right. Right. And she kind of has more of a like I'm a faux hawk, but she has it her does. hair all spiked up and to the side. The first thing I thought I was like, oh, my God, this tall hair cyber tall hair i love it yeah she's really interesting do you know her from other things or uh no i I mean i haven't looked her up but i don't think i've ever seen her before yeah so she's she's pretty dope uh the when you oh yeah i see the image you sent so um character so photo reference uh so when they uh so in that scene you mentioned where uh where uh shora agdashlu is Mm -hmm. doing her interview I was, as a nerd, I was so into the fact that the spacer that they had captured, they showed him exaggerated in the in the way that they yeah. did. They showed him as having the what they called they showed the references later on. I think in the series, like gravity that. sickness or something like that. And he has long bones. Yeah, he's, he's got longed, elongated uh, um, extremities, right? Mm-hmm. And then his and then his torso is very weak. So they've hung him, right? They hung him on a hooks. Yeah. It's like they hung him under his arm armpits, and he's just like he's he's completely paralyzed because of the gravity. Right. That that the detail on that in that component of the show's design completely sold me. I really loved, great. Yeah, I, I loved, loved that. It, I it loved was it. so well done. It's such a nice touch. Well, and then also, like we talked about, I mean, just in terms of how when you step into a show like this, if you're not particularly a genre fan, you step into it to see what it's like. I love the fact that shows like this are confident enough to step you into the role or step you into the story and they don't give you the background. You just run with it. Yeah. Right? That yeah. show just ran with this world and then filled out the world as they went. And I really respect that. That's yeah, what I want. I, I love that they, they added just like 
context clues through the conversation. They were never like, they didn't have some guard come in and be like, you see, he has longer bones because he grew up in a world with less gravity. And that is why it, it, a lot of other shows, particularly sci-fi, I would have expected Captain Exposition to come in. Captain Exposition. Yes. I think you're right. <laughs> well, there's there are characters. Uh, Florence Favre, who uh, plays the character that uh, Thomas Jane is looking into, mm-hmm. um, she's I've seen her in other things, and she's very attractive, but I don't know where she's from. But um, you will see as you go. She's French and Thai, just so you know. Okay. Uh, when, as you go on, you will see that they have some really cool, interesting character choices for certain things. They have certain characters in this that are uh, actors that they've that they've selected where you just uh, you just accept it because it's the actor you like the actor right, right. you know what i mean like whatever okay i'm fine <laughs> so anyways you have something in store for you and i'm i'm only in like episode five or six but <laughs> i cannot wait I cannot wait to get back to it i can't this is one of those shows where i gotta wait until my wife goes to sleep and so right. several nights Last several nights, she goes to sleep, and then I wake up, and I'm on the couch, and it's one. I'm like, damn it. Damn it. <laughs> I've lost my chance of freedom. <laughs> I didn't draw. I didn't watch anything. I didn't play anything. But anyway, so that's Expanse. So do you have any criticisms other than I haven't seen like, enough of it to have anything yet. Do you have any hopes for Expanse? Do you, have, do you have any hopes that you, they don't go a direction that you don't want them to go as far as tropes go? Or... Honestly, I just haven't really hit enough of it yet. So I think we'll have to, to touch back on this on our like our one of our later recordings in February yeah. uh, once I've watched some more of it, definitely. Are you confident you'll get up, up to date? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like the only reason I'm not watching it right now is because I'm recording with you. It's, it's annoying the hell out of me that I haven't finished the second episode. So, son of a bitch, <laughs> don't prioritize, don't prioritize expanse over me, man. I am your expanse. That's why you're here for me. So you're not at all interested in Baywatch when it comes out. You're not excited about that. You know, to be honest with you, I will probably watch it. <laughs> I like the cast on that show. We we were making many jokes, but Saint Dwayne the Rock Johnson is excellent. And I actually really like uh, Daddario. Yeah, she's actually really good. I'm trying to remember what what was the TV she was most recently on uh, True, True Detective. Detective TV? Yeah, yeah, right, right. right. Um, also, what's his name? The young hunk. From... Yeah, he's been doing some interest. I haven't seen him in any anything, but he's recently. To... But I, he's very charismatic. I like watching him, but I'm mm-hmm. a little concerned. That he's going to use so many steroids that his skin will peel. Good like, have Lord. you ever noticed? Yeah. You know, you know, like when like taut skin gets cut and it pulls away, it just peels back. That's what I'm afraid is going to happen at any point in his body. Right. Like, he just looks so incredibly ripped. Yeah. Zero percent body fat. It looks unreal. Yeah, it's bizarre. I'm hoping that uh, Baywatch will be like some of the other. Um, sort of comedy reboots of those shows. I think it's got to be. I mean, it's rated R. Yeah, where it's so it's so knowing in its absurdity that mm-hmm. you enjoy it for that. Because, yeah, I mean those kinds of projects are really hit or miss with a lot of people, but I enjoy them. Being of the target market that watched those earnestly as a kid, right? Like Starsky and Hutch and those kinds of uh, remakes, I'm like, yeah, okay, that's it's a stupid ass show. Well, you know, the guy that directed it, like he's he's directed Community, Parks and Rec, 
He yeah. directed like seven episodes of the Goldbergs, and then he did that horrible Bosses movie, which was amusing. Sure. Uh, and so you know, it, at least it it's got that kind of twisted comedy aspect to it. So I don't know. It might not be that bad. Do you watch? Uh, do you watch Goldbergs? Still? Uh, we've I haven't seen the most recent season, but we've seen up to that on Hulu. Yeah. And do you watch Fresh Off the Boat? I've not seen that at all. So interestingly, those two shows are trading on time periods that viewers might remember, right? Mm-hmm. Fresh Off the Boat is, you know, it's it's been adapted from a from an autobiography of a chef that came up out of Florida in the '90s, and he's describing his experiences as an immigrant in a family where he wants to fit in and his family doesn't, whatever else. Okay. And then he immediately divorced himself from the show because he felt like it wasn't, you know, urgent enough. Okay. But it's, but it's a, but it's a Chinese American family trying to make their way in nineties. Dude, I hate the nineties. I mean too. Nineties Orlando, but the young, the young kid who's the nominal subject of the show, Mm -hmm. although it's really a family show. Um, he's obsessed with hip hop culture which is hilarious because he's constantly like referencing Nas or someone okay. and like, you know, marching around with his stuff, but he's like showing off like CDs from the nineties that he was obsessed with, you know, <laughs> then, and then you have Goldberg's, which has, they, they got popularity or they got, you know, ratings when they did focused featured episodes on certain some things. Yeah. Subject in the eight, in the 80 somethings that like Robocop or something. Right. So that people get excited. So this whole current season of Goldbergs is nothing but one after another. It's episodes about some uh, pop culture phenomenon. It's become a thing with that show. Hmm. You know, it's fine. It's yeah. Fine. But it's a thing. Whereas Fresh Off the Block, which is still touching on some of that stuff, is still more character driven. Gotcha. So I'm starting to feel like that show has picked up where Goldbergs has sort of, I don't know, slipped. Yeah. That's all I want to spend on that. But that's what that is so anyway so there you go so i think we've hit all of our major marks i believe so yeah are you uh are you invigorated as far as the rest of the month and well you don't have much month left six days or four days or whatever's (laughs) left yes very excited I know you're on the con hunt. Are you still on the con hunt? Dude, I have no money to hunt for cons right now. We're at the point now where we're kind of in this holding pattern where I have all these cons lined out that I'm hoping to do, but until we've done a con and hopefully have a little bit of money to sink into other cons, I just have to hope nothing sells out. So, I'm, I've expressed to you privately that I'm, well, no longer privately, but I'm very frustrated that these con promoters don't care about communication. Got so not many. many of them. No, I'm just dipping my toe in the wa- in the waters that you're accustomed to. But I'm just frustrated that you you put all these applications in, and then you have no idea. You don't even know, other than the receipt mm-hmm. that you submitted it. You don't even know if anyone saw it, right? Let alone, and you don't know if they filled. You don't know if they've dis- they've already settled their their layout for their tables or whatever. Right. You don't know if out or not. And how are people supposed to plan if? You're in, entirely beholden on just randomly right before the event. Someone's going to be like, oh, you can come. So this drives me nuts. That's, that's the con life, man. <laughs> I don't like that about hashtag con life, man. Let me tell you that. <laughs> Not excited. What's your next con that you have on your Wizard World Portland. Schedule? Oh? Yeah. When's that? 
I don't know. It's while you're in Jakarta. Ah, okay. So February. making real money. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see a dime, my friend. Yeah. So, so, okay. So Wizard World Portland. Have you been to that one before? No, no, I've never done that one. Uh, I've heard good things about it. It's the only Wizard World I'm doing this year, I think. Um, good plan. Yeah, good plan. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's something where February's kind of a harsh month because it's either cons that sell out immediately or kind of like in places that are too far flung to be worth the size of it. And so Wizard World Portland's kind of the best option. I'm also kind of stymied in the fact that I have to drive to a show's. And in February, particularly anything earlier than the 17th, which is when Wizard World Portland is, yeah, I'm driving through snowy passes still. Oh, yeah, right. So, so yeah, you never know whether you're just not going to make it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's been cons like driving to Denver in March where I've been held up at a truck stop for eight hours I because that. of weather. So... Yeah, it's it's rough, but it's con life, I guess. Uh, I don't know. I'm hoping. I'm not even like high hopes for this con necessarily because it's a Wizard World and Wizard Worlds have really gone downhill. But I'm hoping I at least make the money back that we put in for the table here, so that I can pay it forward to the next one. Uh, at this point, right now, that's really my highest hope for this show. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, I get you. Well, for me, it's very hard because I have to, this not being my main bread and butter, I have to spend family points on these. Right. I have to, I have to spend family points. I have to get work. I got to get time off from work. And in my, and, and, in, and in particular, I have to make sure I'm in the U.S. for them, right? Right. I have a lot of, you know, project travel that takes me all over. And so, you know, for me, I, I have a lot of projects that have expectations for things happening around the time of all of the cons that we've agreed that we would try to go in on together. Right. So I have a lot of, I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I don't, but I can't necessarily rule it out, but I'm not optimistic because I haven't heard a lot. So, I mean, we have a few on the books, but yeah, yeah it's, I, it's hard. I, I would love it's to get like, it like for you to justify doing a show. It's gotta be something where it's either, financially viable or really really fun and so far we really haven't found either of those things <laughs> yeah i mean no i i've pretty much assumed anything outside of the bay area is going to be a lost leader because i gotta fly <laughs> to it um but if it's going to be a three-day con and we're gonna have a fun time right then, then i'm gonna do it but so far it's not those three-day big or longer big spectacle cons we haven't seen the operation of it, so I don't yeah know. Or, or the yeah. confirmation rather <laughs> right but, uh, let's let's cross our little fingers and our little toes yeah. and our little si- a little cyber toes and our little cyber fingers and you can always find out where we're going to be if we do get into one of them by following us on our sorted social media sites what are those sites chris well, Robot Dash Kraken is your your obvious answer. Um, That's a go to site, man, for all the latest, coolest entertainment news. And we have a Robot Kraken representation on Twitter, although I've inadvertently signed myself out of that on my phone, <laughs> and that's why I haven't posted anything on it. <laughs> it's like on the uh, on the on the iPhone. I don't think you can have multiple Twitter accounts logged in at one time. You can. It's, it's you can. Yeah, if you go to me. And then, like, up in the corner where it says edit profile, next to that is the picture of multiple people. Oh, yes? If you click on that, you can have multiple accounts on that. 
But okay. at some point it signed me out, and I can't remember what password we agreed on for that. That's something we'll talk about off pod. <laughs> Bad news, man. I can't remember either. I know. Look, I know. We've got to look at the documents. We'll look at the Precisely my problem. We'll so. <laughs> the. the, the, the <laughs> the robot cracking ghost account just kind of churns along in the dark. Exactly. It just keeps getting tagged in things. <laughs> Will it be an iceberg? Will it be a boiler fire? We don't know. <laughs> All of the above. <laughs> it's an ice boiler fire. Well, my red tentacle, my robot kraken dash red tentacle or underscore red tentacle I, Instagram is blowing up. Blowing Man, up. Blowing up. There's been plus one or plus two new viewers, and people love it. Everyone loves it. So how can I reach you, if Chris, if I want to talk to you about my ideas for an enable pin or a commission that I want to see? How would I reach you? The best way to reach me is to send me an email at deeplydapper at gmail.com. Where can I buy products that you've already designed that are sweet, sweet, that my, my, my auntie would like? That would be deeplydapper.com. Nice, man. Nice. And what have you, Auntie Tom? Uh, so you can find me at. Did you call me Minty? Auntie Tom. Oh, Auntie Tom. <laughs> Tanta, Tanta Tom. Tanta. So, uh, so you can reach me at a website, Third Rail Design Lab, spelled like it sounds, like the rail that you touch to get electrified with ideas. <laughs> about buying stuff thirdraildesignlab.com also you can email me at tom with an h t h o m to be difficult at thirdraildesignlab.com and on most social media stuffs i am thirdraildesignlab and except for like twitter which i'm trdl but that's like the only one or maybe maybe one or maybe i like just, your short just search. twitter account yeah yeah i do too i wish the russians would let go of that so i can have that. <laughs> but uh yeah find me you know just 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 google it yeah we'll find us yeah you'll find us if you have ideas about the show, let us know. If you have some thoughts about things that we should be talking about, let us know. If you think we're wrong about things. If you have a better casting choice for Moon Knight, for, for Frenchie, if you really think Seth Green is not the right choice for Frenchie, <laughs> let me know. I want everyone's Marlene choices <laughs> right now. Explicit Marlene choices also... Yeah, also. if you like blondes better than either of us, pick a different blonde for for Marlene for us. If you're perusing Third Rail Design Lab or Deeply Dapper and you're saying to yourself, Self, I wish I had a, a sweet, sweet 11 by 17 print of something that we haven't done, that you want, that you will buy, you just let us know and maybe we'll do it. Aye. Right? Yes. You never know. You never know. Like 60% of what you have is stuff that I've said. I wish that someone would make a th this thing. And then you're <laughs> like, you're right, Tom. I should do that right now. I will spend 30 hours on it. And you do. Send me your monies. Send me your <laughs> <laughs> Well, so it wasn't – I mean it sh sure wasn't the 18-hour podcast that we promised on a monthly basis. But that was not a bad one. No. No, all things considered, this was acceptable. Here's your February, right? And in March, more exciting and new things. Who knows what we will review? Who knows what we'll talk Todd about? only knows. We barely know before we start recording. <laughs> <laughs> what me plan. So uh, thanks for listening to yes. our podcast. Please tell your friends. Please go to iTunes and 
subscribe us. and also re- review us because oddly enough, I've heard from several people that they've reviewed us on iTunes in a fairly positive way. And Apple has just, you know, I yeah, love Apple. amusingly, the only two that are showing up is the one from Tom and the one from me. <laughs> I mean, from these there's two no, fine fellows who I'm sure. No yeah, there's no evidence of that. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Subscribe and then review and then watch the stuff. And also, since last time, I also started putting up the YouTube version of our show. Oh, so yes. if you find me on YouTube at Third Rail Design Lab, you will find January 2017 is there now. You can click it. You can click it and click it in YouTube for all of you YouTube obsessed people. You can click it and you can listen to the podcast in YouTube and look at our sweet, sweet faces. Wiki right? wiki. Right? Yeah. So next best thing to, to, to just streaming video of awesomeness. But it's not <laughs> static. Yes. Because I can't imagine how much space a full video of the both of us would take up. <laughs> 6.2 gigawatts yes. or something. 9.21 right. gigawatts. Do you think we need to uh, put the... Put the uh, the Kraken back in its cage. Kraken back in its cage, in the cage that it hates to be in until the next recording session. I think so. I think we've we've appeased the beast enough tonight. All right, the beast has been appeased. All right, man. Thanks for listening, everybody. I appreciate Thank you. it. Yes. We had 33 or 33 of you, something like that. This was February. February. <laughs> or January or something. I don't know. February 2017. If this, if this transmission has been found in deep space... This yes. was 2017. This is the approximation of all of Earth culture. In the year of our gourd. <laughs> all right, man. Good night, everybody. Good talking to you. Cheers. Yeah.